All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Ladies and gentlemen, what's up? This is Questlove, and you're listening to QLS Classic. Um, we're checking out Just Blaze, uh, the one and only Just Blaze, and he lets us into uh, his uh, mind state for his creativity and also about his time and making these classic records with uh, Jay Z and all the cats from State Property. This is a really good time. Uh, this is from April 5th, 2017. The one and only Just Blaze on Questlove Supreme Classic. Enjoy. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Questlove heard stories yeah. of legends getting busted. Yeah. Hashtag Ask Vaughn. Yeah. Or Ask Justin. Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Vontae's in the building. Yeah. Funky Rhymes I Bust. Yeah. If you see my friend Just Blaze, yeah. don't give him any dust. Roll call. I want to hear that story. Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. Sugar Steve. Yeah. Just Blaze. Yeah. No problem. Roll call. Pay bill. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna break it down, son. Yeah. Shout out to Just Blaze. Yeah. And the MPC 4000. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Boss Bill's in the house. Yeah. Still broke as a mofo. Yeah. But I'm still gonna ask Just. Yeah. For a hookup at Polo. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. It's Laia. Yeah. Oh boy, I'm ready. Yeah. 
for just blaze. Yeah. It's Hovey, baby. Roll call. Suprema. Suck, no yes, Suprema roll call. No yes on mine. Suprema. My name's Just Blaze. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm great. No years. Don't walk yeah. that I'm late. I still yeah. rock from state to yeah. state. Wait. What? I don't roll call. Call. Suprema. I told you no years. Roll call. I have bars Suprema. ready. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Ladies and gentlemen. No problem. Yeah, Steve. That, <laughs> yes, Steve. Steve and Laia actually came up. <laughs> like, Laia said it yeah, in rhythm. On rhythm. Yeah. Uh, I, I always do. I'm so confused. Nah, nah, nah. Okay. That was your best that was one. Best. That was your best one. I yeah. think Rhythm's we're thing. all high right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Yeah. That was Thanks, amazing. Steve. I feel bad. We He said no yes, and then we, we didn't. He had me to death. I, yeah. I didn't. I had a 16 ready, son. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I'm just blazing on I've never had a guest take over the production. But, of course, you're the producer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Questlove Supreme, only on Pandora. Uh, please welcome our guest, Justin Blaze. What's your middle name? Gregory. Justin Blagery. Blagery. <laughs> it's the weed. It's, it's Steve. It no, ain't ladies the weed. and gentlemen, uh, one, one of my favorite producers, one of the loudest producers. Indeed. I mean, the era of the loudest drums ever, I felt ended with Just Blaze. <laughs> For real. Like, Bring the drums back, bro. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Just Blaze to the show. Yes, indeed. Just Blaze. Um, Just, since you, I feel, are, like, the difference between your era of production mm -hmm. and the era of some guests that have been on the show right. is I feel like you're, you're second generation renaissance. Okay. So, thus, you were a fan of the original renaissance crew. Right. Of the tips of the large professors of Agreed. the Pete Rocks. Yeah. You grew up, you know, on their music before right. you. So thus, I feel as though that makes you probably a student, like a fan. You're 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 a a, a student of Renaissance rap, and you know, I feel as though it's time for you to let us know. What time it is? Do you guys know what time it is? I think I know. This time I know what time it is. This time you do, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for another round of. Bitch, you guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Blaze. Yes, sir. T tell him what the, the game Can is. Can you name <laughs> this snare? Oh shit! Oh, special edition. Special edition. We haven't done this. This is a scrutinizing. Rock. All right, fifteen snares. What's this snare? Oh, um, I'll do it again. Name it. Uh, Yo, I can never remember the name of this one either. So. It's the Afro Lafayette. Yes, there you go. There you go. What's this? Meters. Again. Oh. Oh. I used it on game. Um, <laughs> yes. I can't remember the name of it, but I, I know the break. I've used it. A zillion times. I know Wait, is engine, engine number nine? South. Uh, no, no, no. I'm tripping. I know it. I, I've used it. I have the break. I just can't remember it. Southside movement, save the world. Yes, yes. Mm. Joe Tex. Yes, Joe Tex Papa was, was too. Mm, I know that one. Oh, sport. Yes, that was sport. Lightning rod, cool in the game. 
Oh, I know that one. Hey, fellas. Some people. Sally. Oh, not Sally. Yeah, let a woman be a woman. Yeah, let a woman be a woman, man be a man. Oh, come on. I didn't mean for that to happen. Just just keep going. Oh, oh, now you going to get cocky, motherfucker? All right. Uh, headhunters? Yes. Yeah, God made me funky. God made me funky. Oh, long red. Come on. Yeah, long red. The last one. Actually, that's not fair. It's you, isn't it? <laughs> I was about to say, this is the one that Laia will get. <laughs> oh, wow. I, 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 I sang it. I just I didn't remember the song. <sighs> yes, I inserted myself as I do with everything and in that life. Is but you, I thought you looped that. Yeah, oh, but my the God. thing is, See, it sounds. I thought sounds, you looped that. Motherfucker, no. Wow. They, they wanted to loop me. I, the, one of the biggest, almost near, like, Roots meltdown fist fight things was that they, meaning not me, right? <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to keep the Clyde Stubblefield uh, Soul right, Pride looping. Okay, but I was like, no, I got repped up whole, right? And so I fought. Me and Russell Elevato worked on this shit for like. Now you fooled me. So I always, I always thought that that was that's what that was. Nah, man, I fucking fought, and I kept doing the roles at the end to let people know it's, it's not me. a loop. Right. It's me, right? Anyway, there's going to be four other rounds of of this. So. Wow. That's no problem. Record breaking. So, I I used to win this game. I know. Well, the, you you and I are like this, right? Like, so they so like on the radio. Z100 used to have a morning show mm-hmm. where they used to do exactly this, and this was um, my mom used to drive me to school. So every morning we listen to Z100 and they'd play a half of a second of a song, and we would you know in the car amongst ourselves we would play the game every morning. So fast forward a little bit later, there was a point where. It wasn't Hank Love and Half Pipe, but it was another one of the um, underground uh, radio shows. At the time, I was 12. I was 11. 11 or 12. And they used to do exactly this, and I won six weeks in a row because... No one could guess the one second Yeah, like one second. And it wasn't a snare. It was just like they played a second of a song. But I was too young to actually win, so... My mother used to have to accept the prizes for me, so it got to the point, and then and then, and then uh, Mr. Magic and them was doing it on their show for a while. I won that four weeks in a row. It got to the point where they were like, "Justin, all right, yeah, put your mom on the phone." <laughs> <laughs> I won. I won a set of cold chilling glasses. I won tickets to see that R and B group, The Boys. Wow. Um, remember that? Ooh, you yeah. might remember Raw Breed. They had a song called Rabbit Stew. It yeah. Was a, I won that CD. Um, just every week, I, for like a two months straight, I was winning off of doing this. I, I've heard you sell the story right. before, and that is partially the reason why I started Bitch You Guessed It. Because based on right. more you know, hearing him, yeah, Doo-doo-doo. hearing snippets, we'll do more later. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going off, off, of, off script more than I normally do. I kind of want to continue. You and I just came from uh, about South by Southwest. Right. Uh, months ago, and um, I more like weeks. Yeah, weeks, weeks ago. ago. My fault. You know, time doesn't exist with me. <laughs> That's true. But <laughs> you. <laughs> so when we were eating, you you declared something that totally blew my mind. Uh huh. There's two teams. There's Team Bizarre Ride to the Far Side and Team Lab Cabin. Nope. No. Uh, well, team. That, that and even in. then, even then, there's a battle. But there's there's team Bizarre Ride to the Far Side versus 
Team 93 to infinity. Mm. Guess what team Just Blaze plays for? 93 Hell yeah. Oh. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wait, you too? Yeah. Yes. Wait, you too? Yeah. I mean, listen, Bizarre Ride was. Wait, I mean, is anyone the, on my side? I am. This? I mean, it doesn't matter because it's me, but I am. Phil, what side are you on? <laughs> she has to be on your side. Though. No, no, I, oh, no, I'm never on his side. I didn't hear, I didn't hear Bizarre Ride to the far side until 2010, to be 100% wow. honest. That's seven I, years I, yeah, ago. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Wow, I, know. I heard it later than that. Really? What? Really? What? You're, wait, y'all got something in common? You <laughs> listened to it fully. As an album for the first in time, yeah, for the first time, I heard it for the first time as an album when the box set came out. When you get yeah, on that's down, when I got the, it. Yeah, the I got a set. promo. So, like, for me, Who I heard. Are I, you motherfuckers? And then, like the single, y'all didn't. You know, like, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I love the record. Bill, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't Bill, that I didn't like the singles Bill, or anything. I just you, didn't, well, at the time it came out, I didn't have money to buy up everything, and I didn't have time to steal everything like I wanted to. So, like, it was pick and choose, and Farside just wasn't but high up on the list. Catch up, you, you. Purchased records before you were born, right? And, right, but like Farside just never. I mean, sense. I had Hard. I had passed me by twelve inch. That was all I really felt like I needed. See, me right, too. Right, exactly. So for me, what it was was, um, I I've been DJing since I could walk. Literally, whatever money I had went to records. Um, I got the pass me by twelve inch. You had to get that as a right. DJ. Yeah. Um, aside from that, um, what was the other single? Uh, was there was, there was the remix? Your mama, of mama. Other, other fish, yeah, other fish, and I, and I got other fish. Um, which and I love both of those records. They're classic records to me. I'll tell you, it was two things. A, something didn't compel me to go have to go get that album. And secondly, neither one of my local record stores had it on wax. I didn't buy CDs and tapes. Ninety three till infinity came on. The, had the, uh, the, the yeah, blue vinyl. The blue vinyl. Yep. But so, it was only on one. John. What the? Uh, as most albums were back then. Oh, on one. Oh, it was on one. Yeah, one. Piece. As, as opposed to double or triple oh, vinyl. Oh man. So, so for me, that time. By the time I got to listen to it, I didn't hear it in the era that it mattered. Now, ninety three to infinity. On the other hand, was a whole different animal for me. It was dudes that definitely rhymed different, but they still had an East Coast sensibility about them. So the beats still kind of rock like ours, even though their rhyme patterns and, and the their concepts did it? were different. I'm not saying they did. I just I didn't ha- I didn't have access to it back then. Right. But now that said. Lab Cab in California is one of the best albums ever. And um, I will argue to the death for Lab Cab versus, even, versus, fu- versus Bizarre Ride. Yeah. Early. All of, y'all, all of y'all are born in 78, right? Yeah, 79. yeah. yeah. 79. 84. Liar. Yeah. Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> no one born in 84 named Margaret. We know that. But to me, to me that doesn't really, I don't know if that plays a factor, for me at least personally. Because you saw this morning, I'm talking about records that came out when I was four years old. And I know them verbatim, and I know them from back then. So it wasn't like I missed the, just completely missed that era. I just missed that album. Were you in the club there? Because I think the reason maybe it got to me was because I was in the club and they were playing in the club in D.C., like at the Rock. Well, how were you going to be in the club at 10 years old? No, yeah, it was, yeah, I was 15. Oh, I mean, I mean. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> shit, that ain't even exclusive. Well, everybody knows that shit. <laughs> Put on Interpol. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I don't, like the thing was is that when the Yamama video came out, and they played a lot on video music jukebox, I kind of dismissed them. I was like, uh, a lot of special. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of yeah. It was slow. It was nothing new about substitution that I haven't heard before. Substitution the break. Uh, but 
when I heard for better for worse, that was the mm. one. That was the one. That was just a goddamn revelation to me. And I told him for better for worse was the reason why we put Scott Storch in the roots. Yeah. Because Richard Nichols' partner, um, AJ Son Simmons, he was our Stretch Armstrong and Bobito of Philadelphia. So Drexel Radio was where we got our real hip hop. Because right. by then, like, Power 99 was just like anti, you know, less rap, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, when he got the record, he, he it was like a, a state of emergency. It's like, yo, I think we slept on the far side. You got to hear this record. So we like, it was dead of winter. We got in that car and listened to the shit. And when For Better, For Worse came on, like, I can only describe it as, if you ever seen like the, the Parliament Motor Booty Affair commercial, Oh, or just wow. the cover. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like the shit sounded like water. And I can't explain that maybe it's the first time I actually heard of Fender Rhodes mm-hmm. up in the mix. Of it. But when I heard that shit, I was like, yo, the shit sounds like water. Like we need, that's what we need in our shit. And so Rich is like, yo, this white kid living on my floor at my house. Let him. And then he came the next day. I was like, can you sound like this? And Scott just started playing the Rhodes. And it was like, you're in the group. <laughs> but, yeah, that's weird you say that. And no, I'm not sleeping it. on Lab it. Cabin either. Right. Cause I see for me, Lab Cabin was more of a revelation for me, just production wise. As well. Like um the songs the songs were great, but for me the production on that album. I'll say when I when I first heard bullshit mm-hmm. was that the first time I really heard Dilla? We we were doing a show with the Far Side, and this is when the album just got done, and like when Lab Cabinet just got done. Yeah. Okay. So th- like we just started. Actually, do you guys have a Cat's Cradle in yep. North Carolina? That was in uh, this in Carlboro. Okay. So the Far Side and the Roots are doing a show at the Cat's Cradle. Oh shit! And whoever was doing like the local college nighttime hip hop joint. Uh-huh. We opened for the far side, so they came to scoop me to take me to the college station. And I wanted to stay just to see Far Side's intro. Cause, you know, they had one of the best stage shows ever. Like Never their energy. There, there's just four main it was like watching bad brains on stage. Like they were just like all over the place crazy. And, you know, I saw the intro. They came out to uh uh do do uh Ronnie Law's uh Oh uh Boom. Uh, got the props. Boom, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pressure. Right. Pressure sensitive is the album. Yeah, I, 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 I know. Gotcha. Title, title wave, wave. title, title wave. wave. Yeah. So they came out to that, and I thought, oh, okay, that's 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 a good intro. And then I got in the car, but because the 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 the, the door of the club was open, you could hear the vibration. <laughs> you know, you hear the vibration of eight oh eight outside the club, and dog. All I heard was we were literally outside the the about to go on the highway, but I kept hearing. The, the 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 vibration of Dilla's kick patterns and it sounded off, and I made them stop the car and I ran back to the car the club so I could open the door and listen, and I was like, "Yo, it's like a a drunk three year old did this shit," <laughs> and I was trying to describe to the roots like, "Yo, that new Farside song has a kick pattern that's like, it sounds real messed up," and the next night, I was like, "Who did that shit?" and they explained like, "This kid named JD," and that sound like. You know, they worked on it, but I was interning. I might have been assistant engineer at that point. They spent some time uh, at the studio I used to work at. Where did you first? Uh, at the cutting room. And 88, 
Keys was working with them at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of his records actually made that album, but he was working on them during that time. So a lot of those songs, they were bringing up while they were in there working. So I would say that was probably my first time hearing them. Between that, well, I guess no, because the Busters, the Coming came out before that, right? But yeah. The Coming was 96. Yeah. The Coming was 95. 95. Damn, yeah. it was yeah. 95. Yeah. So I want to say the Coming was the first time I had heard, but I didn't really know who he was or didn't even know his name. Or was it, so you or, or were was it Mad Skills? The, I was on Mad Skills. He was on yeah. Skills' first album, too. Or was that 96? That was 95. Skills' first album was earlier than that. That, that was 94. That was 94. Was That's where the first time I can remember hearing him on that album. Right. He was on. He's on Skills first album. Mm-hmm. I know he did. Oh, it's three songs. Three he songs. It's going, going down. The jam and the jam extra and abstract skills. No, that was Lars Pro. Yeah, there's a third. There's a third one. He did. I gotta back and listen to that album now. There's actually a song on the coming. I didn't know that he did the the L O N S song. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. That was Backspin. Which one? Which one? The one with the. No, that was Backspin. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. That was on Rampage's cousin. Ah, uh, I the credits. It was, yeah, and it's, it's, it's credited to the Uma. Really? Yes. Yeah. And when you oh, listen to that oh. snare, it's it's. No, you know what I'm thinking? Of? I'm thinking of the other posse cut, the uh, Def Squad meets Flipboat Squad. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay, yeah, that was backspin. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like I didn't even thought about that. I didn't even thought about who. For some reason, I always assumed that backspin did that because of the drums. No. But now that but now that you mention it, it makes it makes sense. I didn't even know that that was he did it. Like I overlooked that in my, you right. know what? No, I, mean, underground that, that say, I, I hear it all day. Right. The way that snare was a. Yes, I'm looking for it as we speak. It's not. I'm not just keep it moving. stalling for keep it. Moving. Keep it moving. Keep it moving along. So you said you were DJing since you were four, like around that. Yeah. So what, what was your household like that? You had access um, to those records. Like, how did you? So, in my house, it was it wasn't just my house, but it was just my family unit in general. Um, my family at the time pretty much all lived in the same city, and me being the first baby in the family, um, uh, you end up spending a lot of time, you know, with your relatives, spending the night at your big cousin's house on weekends and things like that. So, in my immediate household, my pops uh, was a jazz organist. Mm-hmm. Um, taught himself how to. He reverse engineered reading music. He knew how to play, but didn't know how to read. So he would get the sheet music to songs that he knew how to play and see what was happening on the paper. And then say, oh, so when it says this, this is the note that I'm supposed to be playing. So he kind of reverse engineered reading music. Wow. So he always had Casio keyboards and Yamaha keyboards aside from his Thomas organ. And, you know, he would let, let me play with him. And that's kind of really where the making music bug really first came about because we had, back then Casio's had uh, the... Uh, Drum pattern loops, mm-hmm. drum patterns inside them. Right, <laughs> yeah, the samba loops, and you could right. actually, you, you could, you could, uh, on the bass side, you could hit a, a bass note and right, it would give right. you the chord, the chord progression you yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So there was that. And then his Thomas um, organ was one of the ones that had the drum pads in it, or drum pads on. They weren't. They were more like chiclet computer keys. Yeah. And there was no sequencer, but you could tap a kick, a snare, a hi hat, and all that. So that there was that, and then, um. My aunt was an avid collector of like late 70s and early 80s funk and R&B. So a lot of the standards, Sherilyn, Earth, Wind & Fire, stuff like that. But I used to spend a lot of time at her house on the weekends as well. And I would just sit there, take all her records up the sleeves and have them all out on the wood floor and 
And she walking in the room and be like, what do you do with my records? Like, because they were out the sleeves just, and I'm just sliding them across the wood. Look at the labels. Right, yeah, looking at the, like, fascinated by the labels and the covers. And then, so around that same time, I had an older cousin, he's seven or eight years older than me. This was right when New York Mix Show became a thing. So you had um, Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out on Friday and Saturdays on mm -hmm. Kiss, and then you had Mr. Magic and Molly Maul on uh, 107 on Fridays and Saturdays. So he had, I might have been six-ish at the time. He was maybe 12-ish. So he had he had a boombox and his sister had a boombox. So on the weekends, I would stay by his house and we would uh, listen to both shows at the same time and record them. And then just wear that tape, both of those tapes out for the next week. We had no money at the time for more cassettes. So we would just record over uh. last week's show. Eventually, you know, I got a little bit older, we started archiving things. Right. But, so like, I remember like when, so, when they, premiered Salt and Pepper the Showstopper when when uh when Red played uh Disco Three Fat Boys for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like so that's what I'm saying. Like I didn't really miss a lot in terms of the early days because I was there for all of that. And what my cousin would do, he lived around the corner from a record store. Um so what he would do is he would buy all the twelve inches. As they got old and the albums would drop, he would give me the twelve inches. So like Sucker MCs comes out. And it's like that comes out. And then the self-titled album comes out, so he gives me that single. Houdini, Haunted House of Rock comes out. Then their album comes out, he gives me that. So he would give you the 12 inches because he had it on he record. Had on he record. had the album, so he's like, I don't need the singles. He didn't think about it like it plays better as a 12 inch. No, you know, he's... Uh. So then, and then in terms of the actual DJing thing, I'm listening to these guys scratch records on the radio, and I'm, I'm, but I'm not really sure what it is that they're doing. Um, I'm thinking they're taking the needle and rubbing it across the... The actual <laughs> wax. So then, we actually, we had this conversation on our group chat. Uh, the Disco, th I'm sorry, the uh, Crash Crew and Fantasy 3 both had the same melody uh, for your rocking on the radio. Right. So. Who was like, first? Right. Uh, well, uh, Fantasy 3 was first. Sylvia heard the melody, Jack didn't. They didn't I didn't credit. know that. Yeah. So, but, but they came out pretty much back to back. Right. So, he, um. He had uh, one turntable in his room. And he plays a trick on me. He's like, you want to see me mix a record? And I'm like, yeah, 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 do it. So he plays Fantasy 3. Right. And then he stops it and puts, he had the Crash Crew record right underneath it. So he took the Fantasy 3 record off and just put the little down on the Crash Crew. And I'm like, oh my God, because it was the same melody. <laughs> right, right, so I'm right. I'm thinking he's doing something, not realizing he's just playing two, two songs. Two, right, right. But then his older sister had a uh, one of those 80 style rack systems and uh at the time it was a push button operated like the select the input selector was a was a each one had its own push button so you would push a button for cassette push a button for turntable push a button for radio whatever long story short she had two i want to say there were fisher turntables in there and if you pushed uh phone on one and phone on two they could both play together right right so he takes he had a copy of Thriller. She had a copy of Thriller. So he takes Beat It. Well, he takes both copies of Beat It and starts one right after the other. So it's going boom, boom, cat, cat, boom, boom, cat, cat, boom, boom, cat, cat, right. boom, cat, cat, making the drum stutter. So it was pretty much all downhill from there. Like I became obsessed <laughs> with <laughs> with records and making pause tapes and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then I would I would say you know I'm Casio comes out with the SK five. Which was like oh, you jumped to the SK five. You didn't, you didn't have SK one stage. My, my no, my uh, my one of my best friends growing up down in Virginia when I used to stay with my my aunt down there, he had an SK one, 
and it was cool, but it was still just you put one sound in it and it was that. That was that. SK5, you had drum pads and four seconds of sampling time. Right. So, and at, right around that same time, um, that same summer, actually, I think is when my aunt bought me Nations of Millions. One of the only cassettes I ever bought because Sam Goody didn't have the vinyl. So that Christmas, my best friend's sister gets the SK5. We jacked her for it. We jacked the Christmas party. I was going to say, did you steal like records or you stole her keyboard? No, we stole you. We stole her SK5. Damn. But then I'm, um, I'm, the reason I bring up Nations, Nation of Millions is because I'm realizing that these records I'm finding in my mother's attic are on the, this public enemy record. Right. And I'll never forget I, the day I realized that what, what Funky Drummer was. I right. found a forty. I found a, a drummer, a funky drummer forty five. Wait, you attic. grew up in a funky drummer forty five household. Yes. Wow. Yo, your mom's official. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it, like all of that. Like Isaac, all, all pretty much all the breaks, <laughs> all the commercial, but not like the stuff that they used to play in the park. Yeah, yeah. And the stuff you had to dig for, but anything like that was on stacks. James Brown involved, Isaac Hayes, whatever. All those breaks. She copped it. And she, she and it was like three boxes off that I found her in the attic. And the attic was when I was when I was young. The attic was a forbidden zone. You didn't go up there unless you had permission from my mom's because it was <laughs> it wasn't a finished attic. Uh. It was like stuff everywhere. So I but I you know went up there anyway one day and found a box of records. I started bringing the records down and I'm realizing I can make these beats that I'm hearing on this public enemy record because I have the SK five and I have these records. And we had a thing called the Star Studio, mm-hmm. which was. It was, ba- it was a scam. It was basically a double cassette recorder. And what it did was it allowed you to record to the left side of the tape and the right side of the tape signal-wise independently. Two tracks. Right. But so, has two tracks, right. So you can have song playing on one side and then record a vocal on the other. So I used to make these things on the SK-5 and then on the other side, me and my brother would rap. Right. And as you know, I don't know how far that to the story you want to go, but that was the beginning of me even realizing what making music or making beats specifically So you're trying to be an MC was. first. You see, in that era, you had to do it all. You had to rap, you had to write. You had to DJ. Yeah, you had to DJ, you had to write graffiti, you had to, do, you had to break, you had to do everything. So it was really just all of us in the, our little crew kind of all kind of attempted to do all of it and eventually some of us just got better at one specific thing. Incidentally, where were you born? Hackensack, New Jersey. Okay. But I grew up in Patterson. Cool. But yeah, so it was like, for me, I was pretty good with the hands, with graffiti. Um, I was decent with the breakdancing as well. Um, I used to get busy. And then there was DJing and rapping and making beats. So the DJing and production thing is what I excelled at, excelled at the quickest. Um, and my rhymes were decent, but I'll never forget the day my brother turned 11. My cousin is taking me to 125th Street for the first time. So I must have been, well, I just turned 10, so I think I was 12. He's taking me to go to record shop on 125th for the first time, and I'm playing one of our beats on a cassette. And we were having a rap battle in the backseat while my cousin's driving. And I rhymed, and then he rhymed. He said this rhyme that blew me out of the water, blew mine out the water, mm-hmm. and I hung up the rhymes after that. And I just said, all right, <laughs> so what we're going to do is I'm going to be Pete Rock, and you're going to be CL Smooth. And I actually found a demo that we probably made when I was like 15 and he was 11 or 12, about 12. I posted it on SoundCloud. If you look at the picture on it, we think we're Pete Rock and CL Smooth. If you listen to the beat, I'm actually cutting up Just Rhyming with Biz, 
And, wow. and I'm using a um, I'm using a, a cannonball Adley. I looped up a Capricorn. Capri- oh wow! Looped up Capricorn. Because wow. yeah, like I, I, you couldn't tell us people was in P Rock and CL Smooth. <laughs> okay, yeah, because you were 14 by the time Main like, Ingredient came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, right around like 15 ish. That's so weird, man. That was some crazy shit. But that was my life. Period. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything else. So when did you get your first? Drum machine, like okay, I want to do this. Right, so I had. What the, was your machine of choice? I had the Roland. Remember, they used to make the Doctor Rhythms. Yeah. So I had a DR six sixty, and then Lexicon. You know, Lexicon makes the reverbs and the delay units. Mm-hmm. They scammed everybody and made a thing called the Jam Man, and they marketed it as a sampler to make beats on. But what it really was was just a delay that you could sync to MIDI. So you would put a loop in there to sync to MIDI, and you could start it and stop it with your computer or whatever you were sequencing with, but you couldn't save anything with it. You could. What year was this made? The Jam Man, oh, maybe 92, 93. Bob said something about this. this Bob Power he brought up the Yeah, same I, thing. I also believe that Marley also mentioned. Marley, yeah, yeah. yeah. that was what it was. Yeah. An earlier version of this, like one of the, like even, I think the Nobody Beats the Biz break, he did it right. through, through that and not through that sync, right. right. So um, that Christmas, that year, whatever year it was, Roland comes up with this thing called the JS-30. And it was kind of like, looking back, it was called a sampling workstation. Mm-hmm. Looking back, it was kind of like a very, very low budget answer to like an NPC kind of kind of thing. So relatively, relatively low budget, because it was $1,200. So all I wanted for Christmas was that. Didn't think I would actually get it because it was $1,200. Um, How much were... MPC or like about, a, about 3, 000, yeah, it was like three, okay. yeah. A twelve hundred was twenty four ninety five back then. Yikes. Um so oh, I skipped one thing. Seeing the Soul to Soul video and Nelly what's his name? Nelly um, Hooper. Hooper, Nelly Hooper is on stage in the back to life and he's got the Mac That's next right. to the keyboard. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So that was like and I had got we had gotten a computer, um I used to, I used to computer computer program as well. Mm-hmm. My dad was a computer programmer for a living and he was a keyboardist just as a hobby. So I see Nelly playing the Mac or playing the keyboard connected to the Mac, and I'm like, you can make music with computers. <laughs> so be- beg mom to take me to software, et cetera, and I walked in, and I'm like, I need the program that lets you make music on a computer. <laughs> Wait. I'm, la- I'm laughing because of how influential videos are uh, in, in the life of a kid watching it, and then you see something that oh, could yeah. just be for show. Because but to you, that's it. <laughs> I I watch Prince, like, you remember the Bat Dance video where he had, like, the laser oh, disc yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. shit? scratching the CD? <laughs> yes! Yo, I was asking for that. I was like, yo, what has Prince got? Yeah, I remember that. They're like, he's the just thing. scratching a laser thing. disc. That's no, not it, even when real. When CDJs came out, that was the first thing I thought of. Right. Same was here. Prince in the Bat Dance video. And, was, and speaking of which, also, um, the very first thing that my mom's ever got me, I, I skipped this as well. Was the Radio Shack uh, realistic uh, mixer, the PA mixer? It was a four channel with no fader. It only had up and down uh, switches, right? Right. So I see Terminator X in the Bring the Noise video, and he turns out he wasn't even really the guy doing the scratches on the records anyway, but he was their show DJ. Right. But he's doing, a, in the Bring the Noise video, there's a point where they're on stage somewhere, and he's backspinning two records and he's only using the up and down faders. Oh, not the side to side He's not using the crossfader at all. So I'm thinking at the time as as this impressionable kid, Terminator Terminator X is one of the best DJs ever. He's Public Enemies DJ and he doesn't use a crossfader. 
So the mixer I need is the one without the crossfader. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's no, how I ended up with the Radio no. Shack mixer. Wow. So, I had the real, they later added a crossfader. Yeah, yeah, they did. They I, did. Got, I had the one with the crossfader. Yeah. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, you're listening to Quest Love Supreme and Just Blaze here is sharing uh, the origin of his story with us and no crossfaders. Um, hey, actually, since we're at it, let's go with round, round two. two. Round two. <laughs> Drum fills. Are you ready? I might not be as good at Drum fills. This, this, this should be fun. No, this is easy. Okay. Oh, oh come oh, on. Man. Hey, what is it? Uh, parliament. Is it Parliament of fucking Dogmore? Let's go. All right, you'll yeah. like it. I'll do it. All right. Don't know it. Yeah, I've never actually never known. Ready again? Hold up, hold up. I've I heard it used. Am I the only fan of Paul Boutique? Oh well, it's a bit. Uh, yeah, I know it's from uh, Shake Your Rump, but I don't. I never knew what. Paul, you know, Paul's Boutique is another album I, I didn't approve. I was late to that one too, actually. That's the st- producer's dream. I know, and I still don't like. Wait, it. Wait, so can you play? You don't like it? The little samples a little bit. Ill, baby. I'm all. Oh, you're I'm still, yeah, yeah, you're just straight I'm meat and potatoes, bees. Um, you <laughs> no, no, you like the meat and potatoes. I like the no, the, the, the garnish on the side. It's the same, but it's the same story. We'll go back to the roles in a second. But in a nutshell, 
I didn't buy Paul's Boutique when it came out because I, I didn't find, find it on. And I didn't like uh, what you, the first thing, the hey, hey ladies. ladies. I thought that shit was kind of corny. I wouldn't fuck with that like, one. I didn't even know that album existed until like maybe five years after it came out. Really? Yeah. It's one of those it, songs it, it that we exist. hear, we know it. Is, I feel like it's one of them songs. Hey, ladies. The thing is, for me personally, I can listen to it now and I understand why it was revolutionary in production. It's not in my go-to for the Beasties catalog. Yeah. Okay. Ah, I feel that's their... Nah, B. To me, I other than license, artistic. I can't I, even listen to license ill anymore. This shit's kind of grating. Oh, no, I love it. I, I listen to that any day. Well, I mean, I respect its history, but I mean, as a guy who lives for record reviews and a guy who like wakes up at five a.m. to see what Pitchfork gave something, some shit. Like Rolling Stone was my Pitchfork as a teenager, and to see those out of touch dudes give them a lead review and a four star. Like, what's the chances of some fratty white boy uh, uh, mockery hip hop yeah. group getting an artistic camaraderie? Like this, 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 these accolades. So you feel like it was undeserved and manufactured? I, I mean, I feel you know in the in the pantheon in the yeah in the pantheon of 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 artistic statements. I feel like the the father is nation of millions, the 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 son is three feet high and rising, and the Holy, Holy Ghost, Ghost is Paul's Paul. boutique mm. for the late eighties. Like those three records opened and also subsequently shut shut Close. the door <laughs> right on. Yeah, I'm making those kind you of just, albums. You had to be my age at the time. Like, we weren't expecting an artistic statement from the Beastie Boys. Like, I was ready for more just like, you know. Girls. Yeah, they're, they're dun, bratty, dun, 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 yeah. mockery hip-hop, and I got an artistic statement. You know, yeah, people me, slept on it. For me, it was ill communication. That was the one where I was like, all right, I fuck with Like, that's the one I come back to. That's when I got back on the train. You know, I went from license check to check your head. Yeah. I wasn't really on that one. Yeah, either, I mean, they were finding like, themselves on check your head, but yeah, I think I thought they, they were they were discovering something about themselves that wasn't there before. All right, here's next. Yeah. Uh, Ltd. Uh, cutting it up. Cutting it up. I'm actually bad at this. What the hell? Even Laia knows this shit. You better know this shit. Oh, bust it loose. Yes, of course. Oh, shit. Wow. Damn, oh, I made it. Shit. I never cut that one up as a kid. You ain't into the go-go blaze? I love go-go. I just, but never, I never DJ up. for old black people? Like, oh, hey. To this day, Bustin' Loose is still not in my list at all. I don't I don't play it. You ain't do a barbecue lately. <laughs> give me the beat now. Give me the beat now. What? Oh, crap. Oh, that's Of course. Come on, man. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Yeah. But now, what is it? What's that? Oh, South Africa. Oh, Saffron Africa. Hmm? Wait, one more time. Oh, I know what this is. Justin Blaze, what does this feel? It's not the Shy Lights. It, it is. It is the Shy Lights. Okay, I'm not. I thought I, thought I was tripping from it. Yeah. Uh, All right. Are you my woman? Don't Last one. Cars by Gary Newman. Yes. Yes. So, all right. So your first official. So we go move the drum. You talk about the drum machine thing still. Yes. ASR ten. Um, what year was this? Right after Enter the Wu Tang. Because uh, Rizzo had an ASR ten. Yes. Because he, I want to say it was Rap Pages did an article on him. Um, there was uh, it wasn't a production based article, but they did get into that. The ten was the keyboard, right? 
Yeah. That was yeah. in the X. Well, they were both. No, no, the 10, the 10 was a keyboard and a rack. Oh, okay. You either got the keyboard or the rack. Gotcha. And then the ASR X was the MPC it style. Was the box. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, the ASR 10, um, read an article. That's what uh, Rizzy used. I said, that's what we got to get. The ASR 10. I shall say to this day, Michael D'Angelo Archer still <laughs> uses yeah? an ASR 10. It's a disc. Wow. Still. Walks around. Steve can verify this. I've got some of the floppy disks in my pocket right here. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know. Yeah, Steve, uh, like, he refuses to move. He he feels like it will cripple him if he updates. Like machine or some shit. Like, right. Like, like, if he wants oh, something modern, he, he would spontaneously combust if so he saw what. Where do you does he, does he have any new equipment or it's just that? He has some updated equipment. Like, there's there was uh, one particular... Key, there's one particular Japanese keyboard company that sends him like some new stuff that, like he used it on Charade, this keyboard that I wish we had. It's like some, it's a very vintage Japanese sounding uh, machine that really has some cool uh, patches on it. Like his true gift is making patches. Like he will sit there, like all 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 of his patented sounds, like that drippy wet kalimba thing. <laughs> Like he takes the Kalimba pass from the ASR and knows exactly how to filter it. How yeah, wh- how much uh, reverb to put on it, how much to to to, to decay Shelf. and all that stuff. A lot of people don't realize the ASR had one of the most advanced uh, effects processors at the time. If you were familiar with the Ensonic uh, DP4, mm-hmm. that was and that was like a standard in studios at that time. Um, that was the effects section of the ASR10. Put into an effects unit. Really? Yep. So the same, but just more advanced. Uh, no, it was the same exact thing. Just in its own. You're on. In, in you're on it with, with companies that scam and sell you the same shit. You're like Cast Now busting Apple. Like, ah oh, man, all they did was add one element, and we're yeah. paying all. No, over. They, they they took it. They made it a rack mount. Was, actually, the ASR the ASR version was the DP two. Like that. That was when they ripped out of the ASR, made it the DP two, then they doubled it. And made a version called the DP4. It just gave you more effects. So as as with most beat makers that I know, or that are at least from the second generation, like some of their favorite things are remaking, right? Like practicing. What if I made this beat or whatever? Like, what was the first beat you prep? Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm, see I'm, how. I don't think I ever did that. Um, really? The closest I ever got to it was using um, the Capricorn loop that Pete used. For in the house, I didn't. But I didn't try to re- remake his beat. I made a beat using well, this not for sale, but just for sport. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. For sport, I just never, I never really did that. I don't think. I, I can't remember. I can't recall having ever done that once. Wow. Yeah. Shockers, because normally that's like the go-to thing. practice. It's it like, kind of trips me out. Like yeah. when I see videos of people remaking my beats, like on YouTube, and it kind of just trips me out. Like, but I get it. If you want to get better, you want to learn how somebody did something, figure out how somebody did something. You're gonna. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like a guitar player learning how to play. Learning how to play a standard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or just a ball player who watches, you know, right. videos. There's a lot of chefs I know that like, you know, will try to figure out like how McDonald's make the you right. know the big Mac or like. You know what I was more concerned about, about was for me, I think, in, especially in that formative era, it was more so I was listening to how the records were engineered, and trying to because I was working with the ASR10, and a four track, or even before that, that Roland Jazz Thirty. And a four track, and I was just trying to figure out. All right, I have a drum machine. I have the same samples. I see equalizers on this four track. Why don't my records sound as good as the records on the radio? 
And I'm not understanding the concepts of studios and mastering and mastering. I don't understand any of that. I'm just like I got I got I got beats and I got EQs and I got a mic. So for me, it was about squeezing whatever sound quality I could out of the little bit that I had. I I will say and, and attest that probably next to Dr. Dre, who's the cleanest producer that I know, producer slash engineer, right. and maybe the combination of a particular era of tip. And and Bob, Bob or Powell, Tip right. and Tim Lath- Latham or whatever, you have one of the loudest mixes I know. Which is weird because I know that both you and Kanye kind of came up in the blueprint battle mm-hmm. generation of you know of of the Jay Z era, right? Whereas like twice in my DJ career that I've been charged with breaking a speaker. <laughs> it was just place. No, over Kanye records. Uh Kanye's the only dude like when his product comes out, I have to re-eat, reconfigure, re-EQ it, like almost remaster it myself or turn the mids and the bass all the way down because I, I you know That aesthetic for him has changed over the years because I remember when his his focus used to not really be about that. If you remember a lot of times his drums would be really small. And that was one of the things that, like, he he's actually to call me about, like, yo, how do you get your drums to sound like that with the horns mm. or with the bass? Like, that was a thing. Like, I remember, um, I would not get into specifics, but there were times where sometimes that would become an issue in the studio where it was like, yo, the track is dope, but the drums seem so small. How do we get them to sound sound bigger? But it, if you look at the history of hip hop, I think that's changed. Millions him. drums are small as shit. Right. And then I realized, oh, they sacrifice, they have small drums, but. The noise There's that so surrounds many. it, exactly. And so, but a lot of your production is like your 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 accessory noises, whatever, the, like uh, sirens you use, mm-hmm. and your snares, right, and your loops, and the voice. Like everything is at top level loud, but it never it never peaks. Like, how do you? Well, one thing that uh, like that I would always try to do is find make sure that each each element of the song has its own space. And sometimes you ha- you can't just do that with pushing the faders out and, and EQing. There's dynamics that come into play too. Because I, I still like to leave headroom at least so that even if you're blasting it, it still doesn't feel like it's overpowering too much. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you a perfect example. You don't know those horns are so shrill and loud. And Jay has that kind of nasally tone to his voice. So those those horns and those and his vocals kind of sit in the same frequency range. So what we did on that record was we used his vocal as a side chain to trigger a compressor on a certain frequency of the horns so that whenever he rhymed... It would duck it. It would duck that's, yeah, just that part of the frequency on the horns. Wow. And then when he wasn't rhyming, the horns were coming, wow. coming full. So and certain it, compression. Right. And it's, that's where compression works for you. Right. And it's not a... Right. And it's not a it's like It wasn't a matter of making the horns louder or lower. It was a matter of... When that freak, when his voice is hitting, make sure that frequency itself is ducked on the horns. So when you when you create a track like that, mm-hmm. it was all right. When I first heard it, that was a hard song for me to digest. I almost think it's a good thing when like you're uncomfortable with something because it's so new to you, right? Like first time I heard Rebel, that would pause. It's like, yo, what the hell is this, right? And especially in in light of hearing that record 
during 9-11 and all that stuff. Right. When I heard it, I just thought, you, you remember the scene in, in Casino where uh, uh, Joe Pesci was like, don't make me do this. Don't, and he's like squeezing the dude's uh, oh, head yeah, in a vice. In the vice. I always imagine that You Don't Know by Jay-Z was, that was the soundtrack to the shit. Like, <laughs> it sounded like someone's head being squeezed in a vice. Like, was that your intention? No, nah, for, for me, it was just like... At that time, we it was just energy is what I was trying to get across really more so than anything else. Um, it's funny, you, sometimes you, if you remember, he used to perform it sometimes and he would, he would have the flames in the background like yeah. a giant alley. That's what I was envisioning, that moment. A lot of those records, especially during that era, and it's still even to this day, but especially that era, I was thinking in, to in terms of performance. Uh, you were seeing like, the final product or in a stadium. and Exactly. So I'm seeing like that moment. Or I'm seeing when he's doing song cry and it's just the, the the whole stage is black and it's just the spotlight on him and he's telling that story and little by little there may be some imagery in the background on, on the screens. I would always think in terms of performance. That's why I show me what you got is the way it is, and why it climaxes at the end because that was supposed to be the record after he does encore and walks off the stage. Then he comes back with just and it's not a beat. It's just okay, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the, the lights end, are still, lights are still off. And right. Then, and by okay. the end, everybody's soloing. The drummer's doing his thing. The bassist is doing his thing. The guitar player was riffing the, the keyboard. That was, that's why that record is like that. So did it frustrate you that that song came so early and not later in the sequence? Yeah, a little bit. But but I, but it should have been something towards the end of the album, more so than at the top. But the way it starts is also a good way to have it at the top of the project. I was going to say. In in the case of, I mean, Illmatic kind of ruined the the idea of one person one person doing, yeah. watching everything. Right. So on on an album like The Blueprint, which is essentially an Illmatic on its own, which to a just, certain degree, yeah. Well, I mean, it's you, Kanye, Timberland, Scott, uh, who else? Bink. Yeah, Bink. Bink. Right. So. Who really gets final say on like, well, it's just start here and so like who has his ear as in let me sequence this? Um, at that time, I would say a lot of that would probably have been because Guru wasn't around. Was Guru around? You know, Chauncey uh, was done after the Dynasty album. So Guru was, was it a Dura or who was engineering oh, Guru? I remember the Chauncey story. Oh, there's many of those. Chauncey, <laughs> the one with the Chauncey? fucking up a, a a tape or something. Uh, there was a lot of things, and then he tried to sue. Yes, yes, Jay yeah, that was a couple it. years ago for seventy five million for a whole. I don't remember what the number was. It was who's Chauncey? Chauncey he was, was the engineer. engineer on a on the, the Dynasty album. The Dynasty album, and maybe some of Volume Three. Okay. Um, that's a whole other set of stories. Seventy five million. I figure what it was, but basically he had a bunch of copies of the Masters. And had been storing them at a storage space in L.A., I think it was key in California, for since he got fired, which was after the after the Dynasty album, mm -hmm. and then came back and tried to sue Jay for a bunch of oh no he tried to claim ownership, partial ownership of publishing and masters. Why did he get fired? He just kept messing up badly. Okay, <laughs> wait, how do you know this? I think he told the story. I on told, Twitter. I told some yeah. stories on Twitter yeah. oh, because, okay, because okay. when it came out that he was trying to take action. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Let me set a few things straight here. 
Like he was not fighting anything. He was not. He wasn't. He doesn't own the masters. I actually have a lot of the masters myself. Mm-hmm. He might have had copies of clones because that was right when we were we were doing the hybrid of two inch to and digital. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff was getting bounced back and forth. It was just a mess. And he was really trying to portray it like he was the driving force behind the sound of Rockefeller for some years. And he was not, he's actually the reason why a lot of records have mistakes on them. Do this. Go back to the Dynasty album. Listen to Get Your Mind Right, Mommy, right? That's mm-hmm. the one that's in mono because of him? No, no, that's no. Is that your chick is in mono because of him? Um, <laughs> Whoa. Wow. That's listen, heavy listen, accusations listen, there, Listen young to man. the beat. Listen to the beat. Um, hold up. No, but is, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Listen to um, Get Your Mind Right. You'll notice the chorus is performed differently every time. Sometimes it starts on the hook. You didn't know how to fly. Yeah, you didn't know how to fly apply <laughs> the hooks. So really, there's three hooks. Each one falls in a different place. Same thing with um, "Can't Be Life." Listen to "Can't Be Life." Go back and listen to that record with that in mind. You'll see that the hooks don't fall in the same place every time. So it was things like that. And then he, you know, back then he used to have to slave um, two inch wheels together. So if you had 48 tracks, you just slave two machines together. We were doing stuff from Pro Tools and dumping it to Real to mix from Real. Duro's getting the tapes because he was mixing that soundtrack when we were finishing at Baseline. And every set of reels that got that Duro got, the the sync was off. So like none of the reels were coming back synced up. So he'd put the two tapes up and he'd just be playing a lot of sync. And um and eventually so not your favorite engineer. No. But and, and eventually <laughs> it, it came to eventually it almost came to hands at one point. Um Cause Duro told about himself, and uh, I, if Duro ever wants to tell that story, I'll let him do it. Um, but yes, Duro told about himself on the phone. Very matter of fact, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't flip on him. He just told him about himself and hung up the phone. Chauncey so comes to deliver the, delivers the tapes and is ready to scrap. And wow. it, didn't, it didn't happen. And I'm just sitting there in the room like, oh, whoa, <laughs> that escalated very quickly. Um, it got shut down as quickly as it happened, but like I said, and, he, and how does that translate to a guy like Jay? Jay's like one of those guys that, to me, like doesn't care how something happens. So of course he's going to look at you like, well, you're fucking up, right? And because like, he's looking at it as your responsibility. How do, you, how do you explain to him that like, look, he didn't line it right, and this is not my fault, and I'm trying to MacGyver? I think we kept Jay out of it a lot. He was aware that things weren't right, but he wasn't really getting to the specifics because we were getting it handled. You know, between me, Guru, and Duro, you know, we were making sure that it got handled regardless. So he might have known that there were problems, but it didn't get to the point. It didn't get back to him to the point where he felt like he had to address had to intervene, it or yeah. intervene. Well, right? who's the person that had to lay the, the smack down and say, oh, you're fired? Um, That might have been hip-hop, maybe. Okay. It might have been hip-hop. Because the things, Chauncey, like, that, all that stuff aside, I liked him as a person. Right. And he and I got along, and he and hip-hop got along very well as well. So um, I want to say it was hip-hop that probably had to have that conversation with him. But, um... How did we get here? Yeah, I'm kind of... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> we're kind of we're ass backwards in this... So, I I noticed that every major producer that gets put on has to go through the initiation of getting ganked first, like going under the tutelage of someone. Never happened. You didn't apprentice under any. Never. I my OGs, my teachers, the people who put me on were the DJs and producers that I grew up listening to. Like that was school for me. I didn't. I came. I so moved, who first put you on? So I moved to New York with forty dollars in my pocket. Literally at forty dollars. 
When you said that, I heard the introduction of Welcome to the Jungle in my head. I'm walking on like 42nd Street, like looking up. So my, uh, you know, um, my old manager, Nasa, she was, uh, we've known, known each other since high school. Um, she went to NYU. Uh, got, got, she got an internship at the cutting room, ended up becoming like the uh, studio manager. Um, gave me a shot at an internship for a week. Um, well, she was kind of co-managing the studio with, with Dave, the dude that owned it. Um, I always wanted to intern, but I, I was in school. She didn't want to just bring me in like that out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember that girl Jane Doe? Tip yeah. Pants? yeah, yeah, right. Uh, short blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Jane was an intern. She gets the stomach flu. This is during my winter break from Rutgers. Mm-hmm. So Nasa calls me. She's like, "Yo, so one of our interns is sick." Uh, do you want to come intern for a week because she's going to be out with a stomach flu? So I'm like, sure. Opportunity of a lifetime for me. Uh, I c- come do that week. Jane calls the following Monday. I just I just got signed to EMI. I'm not coming back. <laughs> so they were like, are oh, you going to stick around for a while? I'm like, all right, cool. So it was p- kind of supposed to be a temporary winter break kind of thing. Right. And then um, the night manager uh, ended up getting fired for some just some other some, some nonsense so they needed somebody to take that position they needed a night manager they needed it like right away where was the cutting room located I at feel the like- time it was right next door to Platinum Island and Rockers so 678 Broadway okay we did cut there okay I'm trying to figure out like where right that's my Philadelphia Half-Life location that's where Duro first yes. well no Duro was at Platinum Island next door so okay I remember Platinum at, Island you guys worked at Platinum Island alright okay um okay. And uh, so Duro, Duro was at Platinum Island. I was next door at the cutting room. So night manager gets fired. They come to me, ask me if I want the job. I'm like, all right, that means I got to leave school, basically. You know, um, I, th- I want to say I was maybe two and a half years in. I was studying computer programming. I wasn't really happy, though. At the, at the same, I wasn't happy in school at the same time. I'm, I'm at Rutgers, so I'm in Newark a lot. So I'm, like, finding my way into DJing at open mics and being able to play my, play my beats at open mics and dudes like the Artifacts are showing up. Bradman mm-hmm. uh, came through once or twice. Outsiders were all there or, or a lot. It was a spot called The Pipeline. It was an open mic they did on Wednesdays. Okay. So that era where it was like, I'm not really happy with school. Rutgers had just hired a bunch of foreign professors mm-hmm. and no disrespect to them by any means, but their accents were so heavy none of us could understand what they were saying in the classes. So you're sitting there like, and you're studying complex <laughs> things like Calculus 3 and, you know, and computer programming. And the dude, this one dude, this African guy, we would all just sit there and look at each other in the class like, do any of y'all Does anybody understand get this? <laughs> what he's saying at all? And then there was an Irish dude who's all, whose accent was also so heavy. Like, So I'm getting discouraged by school. I'm starting to do these open mics because I'm meeting people locally in Newark. Um and it started to become more human to me. Up until that point, everything that I had done was kind of in my own world, you know, with my friends, my local friends, DJing. I'm DJing little things here and there, you know, in my mm-hmm. city. And I'm kind of becoming the man of my city, but nothing outside of that. And Were you, you DJ of, Just Blaze? I'm just DJ Just. Okay. You know, so I'm selling local mixtapes. They're starting to make a little bit of noise. I'm kind of known as the dude on my side of town. But you, you know, in that era, especially, you have a lot of dudes that sell dreams. You know, especially the young kids. Like I remember going to this one dude's house who's actually a, a old friend of ours. I didn't know that like anybody could just call a record label and get a press kit, right? 
So he's walking around talking about how he had, I can't hang with Puff today. He drink too much Baileys. Oh, like that was just his thing. I'm, hang, I'm hanging with this <laughs> he one. He drinks too much Baileys. Right. And <laughs> I, I'll go to his house and he would have all these, what I found out, what I realized years later were press kits. But he would have all these folders sitting out strung across the table it. with the logos and artist pictures and bios. But it's all just press kits. Like anybody can mm-hmm. get them. But he was making it seem like he was working with all of these artists. <laughs> and you see the logos, you're like, bad boy, or Arista, Uptown, whatever. That's a good hustle. Like, right. No. So, <laughs> so, and then there was another dude named Peter Pan. Um, the name alone should have tipped yeah. you off. <laughs> so, but, so anyway, just point is, there's, it wasn't really real. Right. You know, at that point. And then, I'm just trying to catch all the important parts. Being in Rutgers, and then being in, subsequently being in Newark, and I'm seeing dudes like the Outsiders, dudes like, like the Artifacts. And this is when, Jersey rap is popping. That right. first wave of it, you know, like kind of like right, like post flavor. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, exactly. Like Redman used to show up, and I remember being there one day, and one of the dudes, Young Z, yeah. and Rod Digger are on stage rhyming. None of them know who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm playing beats in between the intermissions. How are you playing beats without the technology of the CDJs being invented yet? You just have it? tapes. Okay, I have okay. beats on tapes, so I'm DJing, but I'm also just playing tapes. And I was I was playing tapes during intermissions. Okay. So I'm playing a beat, and I remember Z was like, I went to go put a record on for him to rhyme to, and he was like, no, put that other beat, put that beat back on. Whatever that beat was, that was just playing. Uh-huh. And I was like, and it, it became real in that moment. Like somebody who has a record deal, whose records I have bought, or an established artist, wants to rhyme on something that I made. It's not my homie from down the block. It's not a dude I go to school with. And on top of that, it became human because up until this point, all these guys were guys you see on TV, you hear them on the radio, you buy their records, you study their album covers. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a album art geek. So that's where these guys lived in those boxes. All of a sudden, he's a human being and he's, you know, it's a real thing. It became tangible in that moment. So around that same time, an, uh, another guy that I went to college with had a local crew called uh, BHA and they were making little indie records here and there. And I started hanging with, you know, running with them a bit. And um, from that point on, it just became more human. So this is right at that same time when Jane Doe uh, Left. leaves. leaves. Right. I get the internship. I then become the uh, night manager. And another, th- I actually ended up right when Stakes is High came up. Stakes is High was Moses' premiere, right? Yeah. On Big Brother Big B, Brother I B. think it was. Right. So... I'm doing an open mic, I think, in East Orange. Rod Digger had signed to, at one point, to Violator through Q-Tip. Mm-hmm. And a kid called Roots was doing her demo. Uh, I sure was. And, no. <laughs> and um, oh, shit, I just caught that. So, yeah, kid called Roots is doing her demo. And it just, and I, this was maybe like my second week. Man, I, maybe I've been there for about a month or so. I'm DJing an open mic in East Orange. Digger shows up. And I never spoke to her during that time when I used to see her at the open mics. Right. Previously when I was in college. So she comes, she's like, I recognize you. I saw you somewhere. I'm like, I didn't, I'm like, yeah, I was at the studio when you were working with Q Tip, whatever, whatever. So we have a little conversation. And then Moshe just walks in and does Big Brother beat. And then I play a beat. He's like, anybody got a beat? So I play a cassette. He rhymes on that. So all of a sudden it was like, just, it wasn't happening on records, but it was just happening organically. So it just was kind of like. So, what was your first beat that you landed? <sighs> no, Mace. 
like my first real beat for like that anybody ever bought. Yeah, I got first a chest. Like what song? Yeah. Like the Harlem. I record. really like it. The one where they shot out of cannons. Right. Blinky blink. Blinky blink. <laughs> what album was that? It was the Harlem World album. It was the Harlem World album. Yes. Sorry. So what happens is at this point I'm working at the studio for maybe about a year and a half, two years, and I'm starting to think, all right, it's, things are happening, but they're not. I'm not making any money. I should probably maybe start considering going back and just finishing my last couple of semesters at school, whatever. So one of the things that I used to do, because I'm not a good salesman, I don't mm-hmm. like to sell myself. So what I would do is when I would get off work, I would just go into whatever room was available, make beats, work on records. And leave the door cracked, so people would just walk past and hopefully be like, "What is that?" So whatever it would happen here and there, you know, nothing ever really uh, came about from it. I developed a few friendships with some A and R's and a couple of artists that way, but nothing ever came out of it. Right. Um, but then one day, Mace is working in the next room. They're sequencing a, a sampler. I forget what it was, a Bad Boy sampler or something. He had to fix something on it. So I'm making sure to play my music extra loud. Right. Because they were floating around the hallways. So this dude comes, pokes his head in the room, and he's like, what's that? And I'm saying, oh, it's just something I'm working on. He's like, who are you? And my name is Just. Just what? Just, Just. He's like, your name is Just, Just? And I was like, no, it's just Just. My name is Justin. So he's like, oh, all right. Play me some more beats. So I play him some beats. I don't know who he is. I just know he's connected to them somehow. Right. So you know how uh, Mace used to always reference uh, Kuda? Kuda Love? Yeah, Kuda. Uh, right. Yeah. So this was Kuda's partner. Like Kuda's silent partner in the company. So he was like, yo, uh, where you at on Thursday? And I'm like, uh, here, working. So like, oh, you work here? I'm like, yeah, this is my day job. He's like, come to the hit factory on Thursday. So I go to the hit factory. He's like, matter of fact, I'm going to give you an idea. You know, new edition, popcorn love? I'm like, yeah. He's like, take that, loop it up. Put the jigger jigger scratches and whatnot on it. Yeah, put the He's like, do all that, trust me. It's basically probably end up picking it as his first single. And I'm like, What? <laughs> like this dude just handed me the key, like the golden ticket. Like, you seem like a nice guy. Do this. Wow. So I did it that night. Went to Hit Factory that Thursday and played it for him. And as soon as he heard it, he just started jumping around the room. Mace. This is the, yeah. This is the single. This is the single. And my man uh, Sam, he looked over at me. He's like, I told you. Sam didn't, pre- Damn. Sam didn't preface it with him. Like he didn't say how I have somebody making this beat. He was just like, he get, gave me the LU. Thanks, Mean Joe. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when the record came out, like, I was like, yo, put Blues by Just Blaze and Super Saiyan. Like, cause wow. it, was, it was his idea. He literally just threw me the LU, didn't ask for no money or anything. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. So I got to figure out how you wound up at Baseline Studios. And, and All right. So fast forward. Right. I'm, um, the maze thing happens. Right. You know Matt Fingers? Mm. Short, uh, redhead kid. One of my best friends. Okay. He used to have an indie label called Guess Wild back in the days. He had ah. Mike Zoot. Um, okay. Had most on a couple of records early stuff like that. Anyway, he had a relationship with Penalty Records. Okay. With, with Mayhem and uh, Martin Morin. Okay. So he, um, I'm talking about one day because he was a client st- at the studio as well. He's like, you did a song for Mace? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, for real? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yo, give me some beats. So again, not trying to get anything out of it. He takes a cassette, gives it to uh, Mayhem at Penalty. This was right when they were finishing Nori's album. Right. And um, that led to uh, me working with, they had just signed Half a Mill. Okay. So um, now I'm in the studio with Half a Mill. So that was kind of like, all right, the Mace thing wasn't a fluke. We just did it again. And then from there, like, I met Killer Priest, did a couple of records, which is how I ended up here in this building, you know, back right. then. Met Killer Priest, uh, Tragedy Gaddafi. So I'm working with a lot of dudes that I respect and that I like, but it's not dudes that are selling a ton of records. Right. Um, and then Matt Pun, I thought it was a prank call. It wasn't. And you talked to Pun on the phone. Yeah. Yo, first, he called, oh. oh, right. I'm like, yo, so he's like, yo, this is Pun. And I'm like, <laughs> he never Pun never sounded like a regular human being on the mm-hmm. phone. I'm like, yo, come to my crib in the Bronx. What? So I'm yeah. like, so I'm like, all right. So I go to his crib, play him some beats. Sam Ash, I want to say it was Sam Ash. At the time, I just ripped him off and sold him a bunch of studio gear he didn't need. He was remodeling his house. He was trying to build a studio in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking around uh, the house, and I'm like, "Well, you got a D80, you got D88s, so you don't need ADATs, and you got a O2R, so you don't need a Mackie Digital Eight Bus. Like they double sold them, whatever. Yeah, right. So I'm just, I'm just on the strength, just telling him, you know, like so he's like, Yo, you don't, you understand this stuff? I said, Yeah, I engineer. He said, All right. So when I want to build my studio, would you come help me put things together? I said, yeah, no problem. He said, all right, take whatever you want. Wow. So he ended up building like my first studio. Wow. Like inadvertently gave me everything I needed to get started in the crib. So now I can crank out beats 24-7. I got everything at the crib. I can record. I'm doing everything at the house. Um, but I'm still working at the cutting room. Bruce Hornsby was a big client of ours. And he used to prank call me all the time. <laughs> Who Bruce, Hornsby? Bruce, Hornsby Bruce Hornsby used to prank call me. this story. Bruce wow. Hornsby, I would be saving us, man. <laughs> That's crazy. Good. So uh, me and uh, Bruce was working, I think, with David Byrne, I think, at the time. Okay. Um, so they're working on something. And they were at, they were working at, at, the studio, at the studio for quite some time. So being that I was a dude who helped him with a lot of things, me and, help, me and, us, me and um, him uh, developed the report. So sometimes he would call the studio. He'd be like, uh, 
hey, this is uh, you know Joe Blow from Galaxy Records. We want to offer you offer uh, Justin a record deal. <laughs> and I'll just be like, oh God, whatever. Like, what do you want, Bruce? Like, we, we had that kind of relationship. So, um, I can tell where this story is about to go. So, <laughs> I'm at. I've told a story of bits, bits and pieces of it. I'm trying to speed through it. I've told told a bit of it before. Uh, so fast forward a little bit later. Bruce is still prank calling me. I meet Dino from Universal right when Rakim was finishing up. The master? The 18th? No, the 18th, 18th letter. letter. okay. Um, and Cannabis, had, they had just signed Cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget how I met him. It was a chance meeting. But he gives me the sales pitch. Yo, uh, I played him like 40 beats. And I walked in with a beat CD. Nobody had a CD recorder at the time. They right. were not common. Right. I literally probably was just, me and the Hit Factory, me and the Hit Factory were the only people who had them. Right. And I walked up with a CD, which automatically he's like, "Who brings beats on a CD?" Right. So that caught his eye. So we go through, we go through the uh, music. He loves it. He gives me the sales pitch. He gives me the Gilbert Godfrey and Gasface. We're gonna make you big, 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 big. One big for each. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he's like, "I got cannabis. I got rock him. I got this. I got that." I never hear from Dino again after the whole sales pitch. So I get a phone call about two, two, three weeks later. Uh, at the studio. So I answer the phone. Studio, so, yeah. Can I speak to Just? And I'm like, yeah, this is him. So yeah, my name is G Roberson. I work for Rockefeller Records. Um, I'd like to talk to you about a couple things. And I'm like, yeah, all right, Bruce. What do you want? Right. <laughs> but then in my head, I'm like, how does Bruce know what Rockefeller Records is? Right. This is yeah, whatever. And I'm like, so I'm playing. I'm going back and forth with it. And eventually, I just hang up the phone. So then the phone rings again. Like, hey, I got disconnected. I was trying to speak to Just. Uh, my name is G from Rockefeller Records. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. So he's like, yeah, so, you know, um, I was at Universal. I had a meeting with Dino two weeks ago. And I have this artist that I'm trying to sign named Billy Bathgate. And he doesn't have a demo. Bathgate. Wow. I forgot about Bathgate. Yeah. He's like, Damn. so he's like, um, you know, my artist doesn't have a demo. Um, what I've been doing is just taking him around to different labels and having him rhyme live. Um, and Dino played your CD. And we want like we love. I love like half of what I heard out of the twenty. There's like ten that I love. Um, and I'm like, okay. So he's like, so what's up? And he's like, well, I'm working on a deal for Bathgate. On top of that, I'm I just started as an A&R Rockefeller Records, and we're trying to build a production team. So I'm like, okay. So like, what do you? What, how does this relate to me? He's like, we want. We would like to talk to you about being part of the team. Um, can you come down to the office? And this is when their office is, I think, around 15th Street. Like near Union Square somewhere, so I go to Dave. Dave was the owner of the studio. He's like, uh, "I'm like, Yo, Dave, I gotta go." You know, Jay Z's label just called. They want to have a meeting. He's like, "But you, you just came back from lunch break." I'm like, "I just got a call from Jay Z's record label. You talk, you talk about lunch breaks." So he's like, "Just go, go." So um, I leave, go to the meeting. They're like, "So basically, you want to do a production crew? Uh, you, this kid we just found called Kanye West." Uh, Rock Wilder and B- Rock Wilder, Buck Wild, and Rock Wilder was supposed to be part of the sign production. Yep, yep. and K Rob from K Rob and Romel Z. Yeah, wow. They were all, they, we were gonna be Rock the World. Is what they were gonna call it. And Yikes. and yeah, imagine how crazy that would have been. So it never happened. You know, the the, the deal never happened. Uh, but we ended up just having a good working relationship. I never signed to Rockefeller. Okay. I just, had, we, we worked well. They paid me a lot of money. I stuck around. You know, they would, they would pay me in advance for like, like down the line, 
Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of it. So the first thing they give me is to work on a Mills album. The All Money is Legal. All Money well, is the only legal. one that yeah, the only one, yeah. <laughs> so I engineered that album. I co-produced a few of the songs, uncredited, but it was just, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, recorded and tracked the whole thing. Um, that was also the first time anybody at Rockefeller had ever even heard of or recorded on Pro Tools. They didn't know what that was. So Mill ran out of she ran out of budget. She couldn't buy no more two inch tapes. Oh, okay. someone we got this thing called Pro Tools. We'll try it. What's that? Yeah. So um, so I do her whole album and uh, did one one or two things with Bleak and Beans. Jay wasn't paying me any attention. We get to the end of a Mill's album. He hears a song that I did with her. He says, uh, "Who's on that?" Well, who's, who's that dude on the song? Oh, that was Bathgate. Because we put Bathgate on the record. Okay. Jay's like, take he did the classic hove. Like, take him off. I'm get, I'm getting on this. And who did the beat? Oh, just. Oh yeah, he got better. All right, cool. Tell him to come down. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> neg. He so, negged you. Like, tell him to come down the baseline. So. He got better. Yeah. So I gave him. I I had a, given him a cassette of what uh, the becoming streets is talking. Like by chance, two days before, I didn't give it to him. I gave it to. Luke. G or Hip, who gave it to to him? Right. Get a call from Lenny. Yo, he's he's cut. He just cut Streets's uh watch or Streets is talking last night, and he wants you to come to baseline. Bring some more beats, and then the story that I told a zillion times. I made stick to the script while he was in the booth recording parking lot pimping. He comes out the room and I play him stick to the script, and he's like, "Yo, when did you make this?" I'm like, "Just now." Headphones. He was like, "But I was in the booth." I said, "Yeah, I just made it real quick. You know, chopped up the loop, played the keys, whatever." And that's when he was like, all right, stick around. And that was pretty much it. And then I guess a year and a half later, or two years later, I ended up owning Baseline. At at its height, what was a typical day at, at Baseline like? Uh, like? Was it chaos? Was it? Depending on what area you're talking about. By the time like Dipset had come around and everything, yes, it was pretty chaotic. <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But I mean, just even schedule-wise. Because like, you have all these guys and these various crews and their and their the crews crews. You have your room. Does Kanye have his room? No, it's, it? it's it's just it's two rooms. So it's the room, the main room, and my room. Yeah, and, we mix uh, minstrel show on baseline, yeah, yep. and so we was in the big the big room. And, yeah, and then, yeah. Yep. So they were in the A room, and I was a uh, you know in the B room. So, um, Bleak was an early bird, mm-hmm. so Bleak might get there by eleven a.m. Um, Jay might show up around two. Dipset might show up around eight. Beans would show up in f- at four in the morning after being in trouble somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's literally like a twenty-four hour factory. And you're a doctor on call. Yes, that's exactly what it was. You, uh, answer this for me. Mm-hmm. How did none of how did none of them stop you from giving? Uh, uh, cool in the game. Da, 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 da. To Joe Button. Oh yeah, the Joe Button. How do they not stop you? <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll never forget that day. I'm at what studio was it in LA? The same studio Ye was leaving when he had the accident. Sound something in LA. I forget the name of it. But I'm in there. Uh, I want to say it was a two room facility. We had both rooms. One room is me making beats. The other room is uh, state prop and a bunch of dudes. Right. Uh, working on an album or working on different projects. So I come up with the pumping up idea that night. I come up with it as a follow-up to Rock the Mic for Freeway and Beans. So that was my vision. Like Rock the Mic had kind of just had its run and starting to wane. 
Um, I think Flipside had maybe just all, no, Flipside had, I don't, I don't know if Flipside had come out yet. No, because Rotten Mike was on state property. So yeah, Flipside hadn't come out yet. So Pump It Up was supposed to be the follow up to Rotten Mike. Now, in, in Free's case, Free will pretty much rap to anything that I give him. Mm-hmm. At that point in his life, Freeway would have rapped to anything anybody gave him. Literally. Okay. I had him rapping on KC and JoJo all my life. I, I swear to God. Free be hungry like that, though. That's dope. Yeah. Still is. It's, it sounded like a good idea at the time. You know, it, it didn't come out for a reason. But, right. Um, oh, that exists? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to hear that. It's called My Piano. I'll find it and send it to you. <laughs> oh, God. So. My piano. <laughs> so I'm oh, in there. I make the beat. Freeways was ready to like, tell me when to rap. And, but Beans was kind of like, uh... I think he might have been heavy on the lean, the lean at this time, maybe. Right. So he kind of was just like, so he leaves. And then a bunch of random rappers just started coming in, like local LA dudes who were like fans and just, you know, those dudes that somehow end up in your session and trying to, you know, get on your records. So uh, I won't name names, but there was just one who was just like, I have to turn the beat off now. Like when he came in and started writing verses, I was like, oh, yeah, the beat has to just stop playing. <laughs> so I stopped the beat, and I started making As One from Blueprint 2. Right. And I was like, all right, this is going to be the Rockefeller song that everybody gets on. It's a Rockefeller song. There's nobody else, no other artist, just kind of sending that. That, that message, right, right, yeah. right. So I started making As One, and then we ended up recording that. I gave the Young Guns there, I think, because Young Guns started with the, it's Neef Buck, Neef Buck, out the cut, out the cut. I forget whose routine I jacked. It was somebody's park routine that I had jacked for. Right, if you, if you want to know, yeah, want to yeah, know yeah. the real deal about, about the two. two. Yeah. yeah. So I that's that's how I uh, came up with that idea, gave that to Young Guns, they start. So you're coming up with the hooks too? Um, hooks, sometimes rhymes. Okay. Sometimes I'm rewriting rhymes. Okay. You know, it's, it's always something. Um, So that pump it up beat goes away. So now we're at Blueprint 2 era. And this is like the first time that Pharrell and Jay really, really lock in. Mm-hmm. Like Pharrell's just coming up with record after record after record. So I'm in the B room doing what I normally do, just in there working. I remember the pump it up beat. Mm-hmm. So I go, like, I go to Jay. So I'm like, yo, did you hear something? He's like, all right. So he comes in like five minutes later. He's like, yeah, that's me. But I'm finishing this Pharrell record right now, so. <laughs> oh, man. You know, if he finished, excuse me, miss, over. Over, over, over the, uh, Nah, I want to say it was. Nah, Blueprint 2, that was. Uh, F All Night. Yep. Which, uh, I love night. that record. Yeah, but. Let me talk about, um, nigga, please. Uh, or nigga, uh, please. Uh, uh, did it, did I love it. that. That's, that. I love that song. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, in general, the Pharrell records on there were all dope. I always but it was felt one, like if Pump It Up was on Blueprint 2, that could have made a world of difference. difference yeah. So. Actually, the record that he was working on ended up not being used. It was where he first did the come get some. Where he took the wrath and yeah, came around. He did that on another on another Pharrell beat, which I just found recently. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I have all the tapes. You know, so sometimes I just skim through the server and see what I find. Justin, my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so so he goes back to do the Pharrell record, and he kind of was just like, "Yeah, that's nice." You know, like now. Jay's like that sometimes. If he's focused on, I've seen him do that to other people in regards to me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm finishing this dress record right now. I gotta, I gotta go back in the room. So I didn't, I didn't take offense to it, but it's funny in retrospect. So moving on from that, um, 
Pump It Up comes out, it ends up becoming, you know, what it does, it's a huge record. Jay walks in the room one day, he's like, yo, that Pump It Up is crazy, but next time you come up with something like that, like, play for Motherfucking <laughs> idea. <laughs> like, you know, let me know about that. Like, you know, he's like, the thing is, that I never, we never had a structure where it was like, I owe them first right of refusal, but you're not an idiot. You know where certain records are supposed to go. And they knew that I knew that, so it was never really a thing. Who is Skato? Because when he does it on that, on Skane, that Skane. Skane dollar. Skane. Don't worry, Skane. No, I'll give it back soon. Skane I was, thought it was your nickname or something. No. Or, Skane, Skane dollar. That was a- uh, Clues manager. It was, Clue, it was Clues manager. Skane was basically, uh, it was Clues manager, but Desert, Desert Storm was Clue, Duro, and Skane. I see. I see. So, um, and Joe had his affiliation with- uh, you know, Skane is the one who bought Joe to Def Jam. Right. So it's kind of that connection. So give me that beat. Don't worry, Skane. I'll give it back. Right, whatever, right. Whatever. Uh, so tragic. that's why. So when I told Jay that, he was like, you did? I'm like, yeah. He was like, nah. I said, remember you said I'm going to go do this Pharrell record? He was like, I kind of remember that now. <laughs> then he went and recorded his verse. And that was that. Okay, so... I feel like we're jumping all over the place, which is we very un-Amir to do. No. We're teleporting. Jump back to the beginning. So, when you were a kid, no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we could do it. No, well, okay. Well, what about your work with Mad Lion? Wow. Wow. Actually, well, no, 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 no. Back up. Because I think this is something that this, this room doesn't know. You're responsible for the club classic uh, shake that ass, girl. Make that pussy wet. How are you? Yes. Yeah. How are you responsible for that? So I didn't do the original original version. That was Tap. Rest in peace. Uh, dude from Baltimore. Okay. Um, but the interesting thing about what was happening at that time in Jersey, um, what later on ended up becoming known as Baltimore club music, which then became, uh, you know, over time a Jersey club. We had that influx happening, um, but then we also had a lot of stuff from Chicago that was coming in. So, like, the casual stuff. Um, shout out to Curtis. Uh, a lot of that stuff was starting to infiltrate, and it was basically the beginnings of the primordial soup of what became Jersey Club. So, so Okay, so is Jersey Club, of course you're going to say yes, most of y'all, and beat me down for it. Is Jersey Club an actual, legitimate, recognized genre? Genre? I don't. That's a question because I didn't know until today. It seems like it's more of a sub. Well, I mean, what's the difference between Jersey, Jersey, Club Chicago, and Baltimore House? Okay. Well, I know the difference. I know I Chicago like, House, but I feel like there, um, you can't mention Jersey Club without mentioning Baltimore House. But I feel like the Jersey Jersey Club has become its own thing. The way they program, the way they chop the samples, the way they do certain stutters, it's become its own like thing. Like Todd Edwards and stuff I like that? Todd yeah. Like, it's become its, its, its own thing. So, whereas the Think, the James Brown, Marvel Whitney, uh, Lynn Collins Think Loop... Is not as prominent in Jersey Club anymore. So, like, it's not breakbeat-based, or...? It's... All right, so, like, obviously all the original Jersey Club records, you have the Think Loop. Or at least the, the tambourine, mm-hmm. the other, the shakers right. or the tambourines in there. I feel like there was a certain point where it got away from that, and it was more about the bottom, the bass pause, um, and that pattern, that boom, 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 boom. Most of those records are still based on that, but 
what I'm noticing with the younger generations that are doing it now, it's not something that I can necessarily put into words because I've never really analyzed it from that standpoint. But the way they are truncating and stuttering and flipping a lot of their samples, there's definitely a distinctly different way that they do it in Jersey versus how they do it in Baltimore versus how like some of the dudes that are doing it in Philly, like uh, like uh, Sega, for example, are they, they all do it a little bit differently. And it's really? not something that I can really quantify or put into words how it's different. So, I mean, but is it still pulse-wise, typically 128 BPMs? Oh, yeah, yeah. The foundation, the, the foundation is still the same. The foundation is still the same. See, man, I feel like I was on to something. You got me and didn't complete the mission. You were, yes. I feel like the world, yep. I feel like America, like with You Got Me and with Bombs Over Baghdad, right. I think America isn't ready for drum and bass, but it's like... It's the gatekeepers don't let it happen. You think Wait, so? Are you talking about ready to for drum base now? Or at that I just point. feel like I mean, I just I, I I just feel like the 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 breaking out. I'm I'm praying with this Drake record that the the BPMs get sped up more, and it really start starts a paradigm shift. I don't hope that they necessarily get hope to get sped up more. I just hope there's more variance in the BPMs. Well, it's due time because it's 2017, and true to my five year theory, with things changing on the sevens and the twos, something new is going to happen to hip hop. Right. According, I mean, the last 30 plus years that it's happened. Right. I'm praying that this is it. I mean, nothing against. You know, seventy three BPMs, and I mean now people are getting super slower. No, now it's just the, it's, it's the lean effect. So now it's like a half. Yeah, it's like literally said like one hundred fifty one, fifty to fifty one BPMs. Do you resent that? I mean, not resent that. I mean, I know. No, I don't resent it because it actually allows me in DJ sets to have a little bit more fun. Really? Because you only, for one, for not for one reason, but for one of the main reasons being, you can go from the super high energy to this total shift but still keep people doing the same, same bounce yeah you see what i'm saying like and then that allows you as a dj to get creative with it and say okay i can go from 100 to 50 and it feels the same but now the mood has changed so now i can segue out of that and hit the 75 bpms and then after that some way find a way to get to 140 a lot of the halftime and double time stuff that's happening at least in my dj sets has allowed me to navigate more courses quickly now I'm with you on that. I, change moves. I see what you're saying, but it's just like, as a person, like I can't stand bad segues and DJ sets. Mm -hmm. So everything has to make sense to me. I'm the same way. That's why, like, I watch some, I watch some dudes, and sometimes I'm, I'm admittedly get jealous of dudes that aren't, that don't mind, don't just, care, right? Just <laughs> stopping the music and totally just shifting tempos and moods. And you know what? But I, but the more I watch dudes do that, whether it's somebody that's opening for me whether it's somebody that I'm playing before and opening for, whether it's a co-headline or whatever it is, I watch those from the side sometimes and I'm like, I wish I did not care the way you don't care. <laughs> because, to be honest, today's audience doesn't care. They don't care, yeah, yeah. yeah. As long they as, just want to hear a playlist loud. Right. Club. And when I see that, I'm like, I, w it, I literally have said to myself countless times, I wish I did not care. Because that terrible, ugly segue that, that dude just did just had just put this party on full tilt. Yeah, we I, I don't know which year the Roots picnic it was, but we hired a DJ that was going back from his iPhone to his CDJs. What was I doing that day? But he <laughs> <laughs> 
But he had them going crazy. Going crazy, right. He had, well, it was like, yo, there's some new shit I just made. And he goes to his iPhone. Right. And he puts it on and the whole place is going crazy. Right. No, it, it's, it's, it's really, uh, today's audiences have a very different ear and a very different set of standards. They care um, more about the end result than the process, I guess. What's that? They get, I guess they care more about the end the result, end than, result the process, right. than the process. Like, more so than, like, they're, you know what? I, I will say this, and this is something that, this is an argument that I've, I, I uh, had years ago um, in Australia. I feel like there's a, sh- uh, a divide in terms of what people want from a DJ across generations. Like, I was at a, a record spot down under. And I was talking to a homie and uh, the dude that ran the spot and his mm-hmm. wife. And we were talking about DJs at, uh, this was, I guess, 06. Yeah, it was yeah, 2006. So we were talking about DJs that play reissues versus original pressings and bootlegs and edits mm-hmm. and just having that conversation. But she said one key thing that made me realize that made me realize where our actual uh, divide laid in because she said, when I go to see a DJ play, and I said, that's the problem. You're going to, you're see, going to see him. You're not going to hear. Right. Like, I personally do not care where due to sourcing it from. Like, there's some, some sometimes certain purists, certain types of purists would be like, the Serato kids, uh, when they have, you know, they go into their uh, Serato argument and they start talking about the fact that like a kid now can just go download all 30 volumes or whatever it is of Ultimate Beats and Breaks and mm-hmm. play them. They didn't know what it was like to have to go track those volumes down. And I'm like, all right. I knew what that was like, but I didn't have the struggle of having to discover those break beats and right. find all the original pressings. We're when all Bam- standing on someone else's shoulders. Right. When Bam and them was playing in the park, whoever was playing in the, in the park, um, you know, they used to have to, they, they, they used to, cover them. they yeah. cover the records, they black the labels out. Right. And then you would hope that somebody from downstairs records or downtown records or whatever would. Had it. Right. You could sing it to them and say, such and such just played this record that sounds like this. And hopefully, hey, hopefully they have it. B, hopefully they deem you cool enough to give it to you. (laughs) There was a lot of gatekeeping. There's gatekeeping at every level. So for me, I'm like, wait, why are you worried about seeing him play? I'm worried about hearing him play. Because ultimately, if he doesn't impress me with, with what I hear, or if he or she doesn't impress me with what I hear, then it's game over. So that's what I'm saying. I feel like every generation, the qualifications and ramifications change in terms of what people are looking for. And even still, when you can, like, while it's true that the Serato generation can just download volumes you or whatever. You still know how to play them. Exactly. exactly. You ain't live with them. Like, you still got to live with those records. You got to know, right. you, you know, know why this those, is eight bars, why right. they work, and you what part know. of the record is hot. And, right, because you, you know can't I mean? just play the whole Frisco disco. <laughs> right, right. Because people will look at you like, what? Yeah, you But can't. you get to that bump, 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 bump. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a change. There's very few of those records that you could actually play front to back. Like, you could play UFO front to back. You could play Cavern front to back. You can't really play Big Beat past the past break. The break. Right. Yeah. right. You can play a little bit of it when he sings, <laughs> yeah. but after that, that's pretty much it. You're done. Yeah. What the hell are you playing? Yeah, you know? So you still got to know the music. I used to be that way in the beginning, and then we had a, a bus accident. Oh, I remember I'm that. Nervous, yeah. yeah, and destroyed my headless heroes. Yeah, my headless heroes was like the first thing in the, the original, crate. The original right. copy. Yes, original. wow. Two hundred bucks, done. Right, and then I was like, Nah, I'm spending bootlegs <laughs> from now on. Right. Ten dollars for the bootleg. Yeah, like I have friends. Like some of my friends are like some of the most either purist or 
OCD types or purest OCD types that you'll ever meet. And like they won't make beats from a reissue. Yeah, I know cats like that too. And I'm like, but really? I'm like, why? That's weird because I only like impeach the president. Right on the boot on the on the ultimate beast breaks version. Right. Uh, what did Kenny Dope got the master to it? Right. Reissued it and it's too damn clean. It's clean. It's too clean. It's too it clean. It's too. It's not good to me. I, I I like his. I like to play his reissue when I just want to give people a. Make them you like, know, like what the fuck? How'd you right. get that? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, or when they just they hear it, they're like, "Yo, this is the same, but it's different." What did you do? You know, but like other than that, I don't care where you get it from as long as it's if it's dope, it's dope. Right. Okay. Going back to oh, mm, wait, what, since we're down the rabbit hole already, wait, yeah. Since you said that, do you ever find yourself whenever your peers are over your shoulder, do you ignore the audience and then suddenly you're doing it for them, and does that ruin your set? I try to not do that. In other words, if Natasha's over your shoulder, right, and you know you got some shit that's going to fuck her up, right. Now you know what I only, I only so a something like that where say it's like me, Natasha, my other record nerd friends. Mm-hmm. I will only do that at our party. Okay. So at our party, we all know that anything goes, and that's when we really get to go in on each other. Like you don't have this, boom. You don't have this, boom. Or I'll do something crazy like you don't have this, boom, and I'll play it. Then and I have copies for everybody. You get a copy. You get a copy. You get a copy. I I do the I do the Oprah thing sometimes. You know, like motherfucker. I come out to Mobile Monday more often. Okay. So like, but when it comes to like where I'm working, and sometimes a lot of times like I do certain types of events that they don't really frequent, but they're curious about them. You know, like if it's like a big EDM thing or something like that. A lot of them, like, I'm not just talking about Natasha now, but just in general, a lot of my friends don't necessarily frequent those places, but they're curious about what goes on. I'm not going to go and play, like, the ill, super, duper, rare, you know, uh, a funk, funk boogie record, you know, when I'm in the middle of playing a bunch of turn-up music for some kids and doing, my, doing what I got to do for them. You know, it's it's not... It's so yeah, more nuanced control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got because I I can't resist sometimes. I can't like, I can't do it. Now, now, now here's the thing: if I'm in a venue or playing a party or an event or a festival where it's kind of more of an anything goes kind of thing, right? And you can throw the curveball, and the audience is there's some places that you'll play, and people know people know who you are. They know your taste. If they're coming to see you play, they know that they might get a curveball. People go to see Rich Medina because they know he's gonna throw curveballs. Yeah. You know. Um, Oh, your your status definitely determines how much you can get away with murder. Right. So, like, if I'm playing a certain place and I'm, like, establishing myself, like, for example, there are certain festivals that I play where it's, like, Just Blaze is playing, we are at that stage. And as soon as Mm -hmm. I get up, my stage could be 40% or 30% full. By the time I get 20 minutes in, I'm at 100% capacity. There are other festivals that I play where it's, like, I'm establishing myself in this market. So my curveball uh, ability is very low <laughs> because I'm trying to establish myself here. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to all of a sudden be like, he was doing great, and then he just started playing the theme from the Jeffersons. <laughs> I'm just using it as an example. Like, yeah. Now, K. Trinata, I don't know if you ever seen him speak. Yeah, he's yeah, kind of yeah. like that. Like, he right. did. I went and saw him. He was here a couple. It was like last month. And uh, his opening set, this is a room full of like 20-year-old, right. you know, his opening song was Welcome to the Club by Blue Magic. Wow. And I, I texted him. Damn. I was like, but that I was like wh- nigga, you just, that was revolutionary. And they, he had him jamming too. But, but, like, but that, see, that's the thing. There are certain people that 
that uh, certain generations will look to for that. He's somebody that can do that, not because he has the status of being able to get away with curveballs, but because he's one of the certain people look to certain DJs for certain things. Yeah. Some people look to like I know he's gonna give, play a good time, play all the songs I know. He's gonna know when to drop the vocal out so I can sing along, and it's just pretty much a standard good time. Then you have other guys who are known as like the diggers, and I feel like K Trinata in a lot of ways is the digger. Sample of his generation. For his generation. I mean, dude, he was dropping whispers, Rex. I was like, what the fuck? Right. Like, it was so people damn. that doesn't, that doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. A, because I know him, but B, because I've, I've seen him play. Yeah. And I've watched the, the fact that the crowd respects him when he does that. Now, it depends on what market, like, depending on what market we're in. I remember when I, I was playing, we played a festival together. I want to say it was in New Zealand. His stage was a, a much smaller stage, okay. but he was able to do that. On the stage that was it, me and Zane Lowe. The stage that I was playing at, that would not have worked. Yeah, that would have bombed. Because just <laughs> of the way I'm positioned, I'm positioned on the stage that's the ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. stage. So it's not going to work for me. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money... What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Wait, since we're talking about DJ um, tricks and stuff and, and you know, surprises and obscure songs. Right. I think maybe now is a good time to try part three of. Bitch, you guessed it. Oh, come out of it. loud. Oh, shit. That was loud. This is part three. Okay. I'm going, this, this is a little more advanced. Oh come on! That drum roll thing was was like torture. No 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 no! You you did well. You did well. All right. All right. So, can you guess these joints? Okay. Left. I can already tell you. I know that one. DC Larue, uh, Vernon. Vernon Birch. What just happened? Craft work. Ah, <laughs> Hold up. Oh, it, uh, Barry all together, White. brothers. Yeah. So again. Oh, wait, why am I? I'll do it. Yeah. I'm on the play. I'm like, yeah. 
trying to play. Let's all play. Pause. Y'all host this show. Y'all should know this shit. Nah, I don't. Oh, Everyone here son. should know it. Now here's the thing. There's something I don't. I don't know the original oh, brick. No. I know who it was used by. <laughs> like, I better not, not know the name. I have the record. I don't know it by name. Okay, we'll try again. Okay. I don't know that. I have diabetes, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Tap out. It was a cover of Let the, Let the Sunshine In by, by who? How do you know it's Let the Sunshine Because in? when you played it, you let it go a little you bit too long. let it go too long, too long yeah. And I could hear the Let the Sunshine I, I just don't know whose version that is. Oh, it's the Ray Block Singers. Let the Sunshine Oh, yeah. Oh, who is this? Let the Oh, is it? All right. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you play that dun. one. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Yes. Yeah, what is the name? I don't. It's Breakers' version of. Yeah. Uh, Breakers' version of what's the what's the original song? Uh, mango, not mango. Mango meat. meat. Yeah, mango meat. By, By Mandrew. Mandrew. By Mandrew. Okay. Do you guys know the mango meat story? No. Uh oh. Am I allowed to reveal it? I, f- I feel like since I've done it, I heard that Jeff has been re- redoing that. Oh, motherfucker, sense. I do it. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, you <laughs> thought you you thought we were going to let... So, all right, fine. Mango meat. Can Rock- I do it first? Okay, go ahead. Go Can ahead. I do it first, please? Go, go. What's about to happen here? <laughs> all right. Shit, it was like it, was, it looks was confused. A, was, she, she's, she's, she's not what is, what she's is, not recognizing is, the freeway sample. What is the what is the uh oh? You still don't know? No, I no, I know, but I, you just look. No, my lost. I wanted to ask a, a a dumb question. I guess in the room, but I was it's like, not no dumb, dumb questions. Right. Right. Somebody people. listening. All right, Mister Blaze. But it, what did you replace? Whatever that instrument was for rock the mic. Like I mean, it just sound it sound different. Like it's still I can hear the cadence sounds the same. Well, but he, whatever the it's production. He tuned it higher and there's a lot there's a lot more to it. But that's yeah. basically it right there. Yeah, okay. that was done on the ASRX Pro. Really? Yeah, randomly. Like I had one, and I, the thing I loved about the ASRX Pro was, or that the ASRX in general was that it was. The engine of the ASR ten, but it also had built in a built in sound module, um, where you could like access uh patches through RAM as opposed to having to load stuff in through a uh a drive or not having to use like a JV ten eighty or twenty eighty or whatever to get your sound. So it was basically so to like, get more space and right. It was basically all in one machine. Like you had the sampling section, you had your samples, but then you also had built in piano patches, basses and things like that. And no drum machine to my knowledge, up until that point, had had that all built into the RAM. Wow. Yeah. So I start. I started trying to. Ch- I championed it for a while. It was no MPC, but I. It was. There was a certain uh, element of portableness. No, it was the weapon of choice. I mean, yeah. RZA made. Oh, of course, right. I mean, on on that equipment. Right. All right. So we're not done. I know that that's the. Get it together, Sam. I those, never knew what it was called. One of those like switched on Bach or uh, hooked on Bach records. Whatever. Another Let the Sunshine In. Yeah. By the Moog Machine. Right. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> hooked on Bach. I was have that. DC? that. No, that wasn't DC. I, that was, uh, no, I, I do have that. No, I don't know that one. 
Oh, Congo by Lafayette oh, Afro Rock. Oh, Afro Rock. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, now I hear it. Yeah. That's DC LaRue. <laughs> just I, know a, I just know the just whistle. Just a squeak. Yeah. yeah and you is, know. That a, is that a kick pedal or, <laughs> or a chair? Yeah, it's, I think it's like the squeak of the pedal. Play the whole thing. Oh, I'll play a little bit of it. Anyway. And that is who? That is who? DC LaRue. DC LaRue. Indiscreet. Indiscreet. That's Vernon. Vernon is it Birch. Vernon Bunch? Vernon Birch. Vernon Birch. Birch. Okay. Get up. Get up. Played that last night, actually. Um, that wasn't Sylvester. That, that's Sylvester. Bohannon? Sounds like Bohannon. I don't think it is, no. but it sounds like it. It sounds like me and the gang, but I, I know it's not. You're close. Yeah, it's it's Get It by uh, Mandrell. Can you get it? Okay. Get it. Get it. Get it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Last. Oh, together, brothers. Okay. I used to I used to troll people, and I would um like even I still do the play same that time. instead of yeah instead of ride the train yeah yeah and they'll be like oh it's a real song but like it wasn't you know it wasn't until I really like it wasn't until maybe at some point in the two thousand early two thousands that I realized that's what that was, and now the train is my favorite bass record because that, that that the the together brothers is so hard. So I never. And I like been, Together Brothers better. I don't like the way they program the the the. No, the, no, not that I don't like Together Brothers better. I mean that that's the, the source. My point is, I never listened to Ride the Train from the context of production. Right. I only ever listened to it as that song mm-hmm. that drove you nuts when it came on the radio or when the video <laughs> came on. So once I found the sample, I went back and listened to it, and I was like, for them to take this and make a Miami bass record out of it. Yeah. That was like some old like when uh, what was what was a uh, uh Mr. Mixer's crew the ghetto style DJs. When they would do things like on mega mixes, when they would have no matter how hard you try, you can't stop me. But make a Miami bass flip out of that. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that, like because it's typically in Miami bass they were sampling Kraftwerk, Planet Rock, uh, stuff that was already electro. Right. When you take something like that together, brother, record, together brothers records, which is when you listen to it on its own, it's a completely different style. It right. doesn't lend itself to bass music. That was kind of like the reason why, like people ask me like about the sample flips, I'm the most proud of, or that I had the most fun doing, whatever. Obviously, the Rick James one that you and I, you know, have mm-hmm. a history with, like that was one where it was like I took something not that it hadn't been sampled before, it had never been sampled with for that. It was it wasn't supposed to be. Hey, look, here's you can't touch this. No, it was, but when you listen to it, you're like, there's something about this that sounds familiar. And then you realize that there's nothing but me chopping it up on the past. Right. You did it with ignorant shit, too, with the, uh, did you do with the, the yeah, Isley joint? the end of the Isley joint. Like, nobody ever listens you to that You did ignorant shit? Yeah. Oh, shit. But nobody ever listens to that. People that's always one think of your, That's part. one of your more quiet The person that ever yeah. did it was, uh, your boy, uh, well, they kind of used it, uh, Vicious on the, oh, Nika. the Nika. Yeah. <laughs> the Nika, he took like a little bit of it. But, oh, they did? Yeah, but I mean. I got to go back and listen to Nika now. I remember the record. I just no, don't remember no, the record. No, it was the main part, but then right. like the little pre-hook. Right, was in that. there as well. But, or, or even like the uh, the, the T.I. Rihanna shit, uh, Live Your Life, where it was like, everybody knows that record from the fat kid on YouTube doing this. <laughs> and the funny thing is that it came about in almost the same exact way. You know, I did the Rick James thing as for my MySpace page, like trying to figure out a way to just brand it, like, hey, this is my actual page. So I forget what I was trying to brand, but it was the same thing. Like, we make a track out of something ultimately ridiculous, mm-hmm. but try to make something credible and cool out of it. And I don't know if it was for, like... It wasn't Friendster or something, but it was something else from that early internet era. And it just so happened that, and Tip called me right after I made it. Well, as we were making it, I'm like, yo, this could actually be a song. So I started writing a hook to it. And it just so happened that Tip called me, like, right after I laid the references. 
and was like, yo, I had the opportunity to get a Justin Timberlake on the record because I guess Justin owed him, he owed Justin owed him a favor for mm-hmm. getting on something. So originally, it was that's why it's all falsetto. The demo, if you ever hear the demo, it's all falsetto because I was referencing it as Justin Timberlake. Oh. But then Rihanna came into the picture, and we ended up going with that because it made more sense for her to be on that record. Okay, uh, now I got to jump all over the place since you mentioned Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. I wish someone was there to work on the hook writing process of those three songs. Which three? The uh, Show Me What You Got. Show me, oh, Show well, Me What You Got. With, yeah, right, right. With, oh, my God. I'm not mad at show, show Me What You Got, but just for... It was the oh wave. My God. That's what killed it. It was the wave. I didn't yeah. mind the wave. I didn't but mind me, that. But, uh, black but people I, don't wave, though. But here's like, the thing. Good. All right, so black people don't wave, right? But I'll tell you... So I don't play that. When I play festivals I don't or parties or bigger parties, I don't play the whole record. But I play it up until the wave. And every, but everybody waves. Oh, okay. <laughs> everybody waves. Like, so my thing is, I actually stole something from Mr. C., when when the record first uh, came out and Hot 87 was running it back to back to back to back, and Mr. C got hype and started doing a hands up and wave to the left, wave to the right, wave. So that, for me, that's the perfect way to get out of that record because everybody does it. They all and, and white people, black people, whatever. Now that now that it's an older record, at the time it might not have worked. Yeah. It works now. I think the the resistance to show me what you got was more about. At that point, it was just too much goddamn hove at that point. It was like, I think anything would have been overkill. Which is funny, because that was his comeback out of right, retirement right, record. Right. Yeah, come, yeah, he came... Yeah, he was silent for a few yeah, years. But, so I mean, he was still... The, I mean, he was still, the, I mean, the backlash he, was just ready. Right, right. Yeah, the back... I mean, you know, the, I, don't, I think anything... Kind of like been, a victory lap, you think? Like, would, I mean, it was too much of a... And this is the thing. Whenever he snickers on his record... <laughs> I hate that snicker because it's like <laughs> that. That is like, the. You, all right, you ever watch poverty. the? You ever watch? <laughs> <laughs> you you ever watch? You ever watch uh, the Chappelle extras where Charlie Murphy's describing the guy that says "you fucking moron"? moron. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and now that this gets, yeah, he has a friend. He has a black friend, right? That insults you to the point where you just want to beat the shit out of him. Right. He has a way of saying, you fucking moron, and he turns into a white person saying gotcha. that it makes you want to fuck him up. Right, right, right. That's what right, the right. Jay Snicker does for that, you? That Jay Snicker, it's not even like the two, like the Tupac Snicker. What was the Tupac? I mean, no. I don't, I don't, know, <laughs> like, I don't know about the Tupac Snicker being a thing. I mean, no, Tupac always had the laugh. <laughs> It's supposed to be smart, but it's never as menacing as Tupac think it is in his head. Like I think in his mind, Tupac thinks it's supposed to be like the super so villain. So much that I never even noticed. I never even noticed Wow, that. the snicker is a thing. Oh, God. I, I got to get the no, Jada. We got to get Amaya, we gotta Ladies get Amaya and gentlemen, on. I know the Jada. Sick- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what he's doing. He's laughing. The, yeah, that's, the, that's, oh, the, that's the, the Jada Infocima call. <laughs> Right, I love this. Shit. So, one of, all right, here's the super rabbit hole. We're never going to get to your career, Josh. Sorry, that's, cool, that's fine. So, one of the, one of the most amazing things I found out that Bill and I found out right. teaching at NYU. Do, does the world even know that you teach at NYU with me, or do I teach at NYU, or do I just hand out papers? 
if you weren't there, would class be as smooth as possible? Hell no. Yeah. Is well, this then. the black laugh? Is this is this the theory yes. that we're going? Okay. So <laughs> was the whole what, class about the black laugh? No, this is actually really interesting. This what, is really it, interesting. It's amazing. So what I didn't know was that uh, in general, emotions were illegal during slavery period. Okay. I mean, even with your parents, you're like, you better not cry if I give you something to cry yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, sure. you know, you can't get angry at someone or right. whatever. But you also couldn't laugh. Laughing was illegal wow. in slave time. You were sassing. Right. So it was just keep your head down, do your work, no crying, no laughing, no whatever. So the slaves had to invent uh, some sort of device of right. so that they can express emotions. If they want to cry or, or scream or something... So the idea of a barrel of laughs comes from a place. They, they, they built a barrel, filled it with water. So if you felt yourself wanting to curse out your master or laugh at a joke or something and didn't want to get 50 lashes, you would duck your head in the water and laugh to suppress the sounds. And that's where the term barrel of laughs comes from? That's where it comes from. Now, yeah. where, wow. where it's relevant into terms of entertainment the very first uh, spoken word, or I guess the first recorded uh, material for black people right, was a song called The Laughing Song. And um, I guess it was the fuck the police of its day. Right. Because it's like, well, I'm recording a song, so you can't give me lashes right. nor put me in jail for laughing. So ha-ha, it's the ha-ha-ha song gotcha. or whatever. Gotcha. Um, and so our one of our teaching assistants, uh, Amalia... Amalia, she did a study, and in her study, she noticed that laughing on any black records is never laughing. It's an expression of pain. So when Stevie, like the invention of hee hee hee, Michael's right. hee hee hee, is from Stevie Wonder's Maybe Your Baby, which is about betrayal. Right. Hee-hee-hee. So he's just, uh, m- most of James Brown's grunts, ha! <laughs> right. Either laughing is uh, uh, an exclamation term, ha, right. or it's a villain term. <laughs> right. Like I got you, motherfucker. What you gonna do? It's it's never just a genuine, a genuine hearty laugh of joy or right or laughter on any. And she has she's done a, a study of like a hundred years of recorded music. That's crazy. You know that you're, type you're, of I can't think about the and la- documents an actual happy laugh. Right. I want to yeah. take but, your class now. Is that what y'all you discuss? You take his class You're every late. week. Oh, that's right. Never mind. We all do. You yeah. are. <laughs> anyway, I'm determined do, do we to find a laugh. Yeah, we got no, it. She laugh. literally has sure she every ha- laugh she has right. is either villainous or right. an exclamation. <laughs> right. Or, or mm-hmm. an ironic <laughs> laugh. That's so hard. It's got to be not one. Not one. All right, so I is can't it, even backsell it. What so is, this is uh, the laughing song by George W. Johnson from 1898. <laughs> 
I got that horrible Larry. Wow. <laughs> I got that horrible Larry. <laughs> how was that recorded in the, in the very first that's, recorded that's song by a black how person? Was, how, do you know how it was recorded or what it was recorded onto? I mean, whatever. It's. I mean. I wouldn't say that it was like acetate for the, that, yeah, yeah it's it's on acetate um I, I wouldn't even say it's during the time period that what's his name was Lomax. yeah that Lomax was ro- going around recording people but I don't know the history I can yeah I'm, 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 I can I'm bring it up to another myself. yeah that, that's yeah but anyway leading that back to so Jay it's leading, so sad to Jay's like, laugh leading back to Jay yeah <laughs> like <laughs> 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 Yeah, but I just never. <laughs> yeah, his laugh. What? It's like being called a moron. What you want me to do? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just ah, it irks me. But my whole point was that I fell. It got shorted. One, I think people were just ready for the J backlash to go down. Yeah, it was. It was time for it. And two, oh my god, and. And uh, Kingdom Come could have used way better hooks. And, and a better album I, but I still felt the thing was, I sold him. I told him right. to start that record with those three songs because in my head, right. I wanted his comeback to be like the updated 2006 version of America's Most Wanted. Right. I described like, yo, so these three records, sense, right. blammo. And. But see, you know the things. I mean, he had his his own other other vision. Like he wanted it. He'd always wanted to do a project with Dre. Um, and I, if you look, like every all their collaborations are a fail. Like Dre, his actually, verse on Watch It Too was dope. That song wasn't yeah. really, but he came off on that verse. Dre though. tried to mix those records. Well, he didn't. You know, he didn't bother trying to mix Show Me What You Got. He tried to mix uh, Kingdom Come. And not you. They had this thing where they were like, they had done a deal with Dre, where Dre was kind of supposed to help oversee the album and also do the mixing. They knew they know how hands on I am with my stuff. Dre knows that, mm-hmm. but I said, you know what? It's Dre. I can't argue with that. You know, like if he says this is something he wants to do, cool. I knew it was going to happen. I knew I was going to get a call, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened. I got a call, like. Yo, like, because Dre has already, Dre had, me and Dre had already tried this with, uh, when we were working on Dre's first album. You know, Dre oversaw the Why you hate the game joint? Right, no, 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 the first album, we had, like, Church for Thugs. Oh, um, that's right, your yeah, white game was on the, yeah. yeah. on the second album. So, like, Dre had already tried to mix my records, and because it's Dre, I'm never going to say, no, you can't attempt that. You know, like, that's, that's Dre. Um, and Dre has probably like, one, the, one of the, the best ears in hip-hop, Mm-hmm. As it relates to his sound, mm-hmm. he knows how to make his sound sound amazing. But he called me. He's like, Yo, I don't know how you do what you do with these crazy bass frequencies and these super high end horns. Like, part of me like, I tried to mix it. It's not happening. Uh, come, come get on the plane. And I went out to L. A. and fixed the game record. And it wasn't even a long process. It was just I know how I EQ mm-hmm. what I EQ. What Pootie I need to do. know what Pootie do exactly. <laughs> and then with um. With Kingdom Come, it was kind of the same thing. Like I never, I never at this point I was we were doing files, and I never was the type to send files out. Again, it's Dre. I'm not gonna say no. And I remember Jay Brown being like, "Do me this solid, you know. I know that you're, you know, you do your own stuff and you're your own factory, 
but we're trying to do this deal with Dre where he mixes everything. I said, all right, fine. Send him the files, get the same call. Yo, it's it's not coming back right. Like, I heard Just Rough. You might as well just have Just do it. Because all he was, at, he, mm-hmm. what he was trying to do was recreate my Chasing rough. the demo. Right, it's like, what? Just, I already have the demo here, so let me just fix that up. So the day that they sent me the files back and Jay was coming to approve or listen to the mix and see if he was cool with it was the day I played him, show me what you got. Mm. And he, because I, I had the mix up for Kingdom Come in the B room. And then I was like, I have something else you need to listen to. And I, I play him. And y'all was still at baseline at this time? Yeah. Okay. This, I want to say this was the, maybe the last thing that he did recording wise at baseline. We mixed we mixed Blueprint 3 at baseline, but he didn't record any of it there. We just brought the files back and mixed it. Does baseline still exist? No. When um, did it go down? It was... Baseline, I had the grand closing 2000, either 10 or 11. Wait, hold up. 11, 2011. So I did, I did the uh, grand closing. Um, what was the last thing worked on there? That is a good question. Um, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I want to say Blueprint 3 was the last thing I want to say actually worked on there. Like There might have been a few other random things that came up here and there before I f- finally closed the doors. But the last full project that was worked on there, like the entire Blueprint 3 was mixed there. Okay. Now, I'm going to get back in the DeLorean and go back to... <laughs> to, no, let's, go not, back, let's go back to the, to the uh, uh, Shake That Ass thing actually Yes, to, that's what I was saying Because like, I, I gotta So I didn't make the record But I was in my in my neighborhood Or in my local market I would say I was one of the guys That like kind of I guess Helped break it So I had routines that I would do cause, cause we, Back then you didn't have 20 Jersey House records to play Because there weren't 20 of them mm-hmm. Or 20 Baltimore House records um, At that time Um so I used to have a whole routine that I used to do. So one night, uh, I used to do a, I used to do a roller skating rink, and from nine to twelve it was roller skating, and then from twelve o'clock on we would shut down the skating rink and it would just be people dancing on the skating rink. It was all ages. Uh, I was I was maybe like sixteen when I was doing it at the time. So, um, one night we got a little bit of money together, and we had Wendy Williams host. Oh wow! And uh, Mr. C was going to be the DJ. Because the party started doing pretty well, so we were able to, you know, get a little bit of money together and start booking people. So, Wendy Williams comes down to the host, Carhartt dad. I remember she like, a, like she could have been an extra in a youngsters video or an honest video. <laughs> what? Car, she was Carhartt dad from top to bottom, like, like the, the Scully, <laughs> the, 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 the vessel. Shout out to Tretch. Shout out Tretch. So she comes down. And she's doing her host thing. I'm still DJ. Um, and I know that Mr. C's about to do his thing. So I'm like, you know, I've always been the type to kind of respect the headlining DJ. But at the same time, like, this is my party. So I'm going to throw that. So my thing was, I, I knew that he was going to do the hip hop thing. He had never really been exposed to Jersey, just house culture in general up until that point. Because it's very different from what's happening in house, in house clubs in New York. Gotcha. So I do my usual Jersey House thing, which is really, like I said, just a mix of the Chicago stuff, the Baltimore stuff, some of our local Jersey stuff, some of the Detroit techno. And I end it with this routine that I used to do where I used to do a mix, uh, a blend of shake, your, shake, shake That Ass. And the whole time he's just kind of in the corner, like, you know, being the celebrity DJ, just watching me, waiting to get on. He's just kind of whatever. I play that, and he immediately is just like, wait, what's this? 
As soon as he heard the opening, like the bounce caught him. Then he looks at the crowd and he sees what the crowd is. When we we had just moved the crowd onto the skating rink, so now everybody's dancing. On, so he just watched what's happening. Like yo, this is amazing. So, um, I get a phone call from him. We exchanged information that night. We uh, he hits me the next day. He said, yo, I need that record or that song that you have. I need to do something with this. So, who is the original artist on that record? Tap, a dude named Tap. Oh, tap he, okay. he, he he passed away a few years ago. So I bring him, I, I bring him a copy um, to the cold. He, he's like, yo, we meet the cold chilling offices. This is when cold chilling still had offices. Wow. So I go to cold chilling. Now, me as a kid who grew up on people in my age, age grew up on, I'm like, you want me to come to cold chilling? <laughs> so I call my older cousin, gives me a ride over to cold chilling the next day. Or like actually about a couple of days later. Um, and I give him the record. And he literally gives me a copy. A copy of every single record that came out on Cold Chillin' from the inception, like the Prism days. The Prisms, yeah. To then. Sealed. Yeah, it is. Sealed. Brand new. Wow. Un unopened. So it's like literally like three boxes worth and doubles of everything. Oh, man. So and, I'm like. Including like the looks like a job for Big Daddy Kane and Taste of Chocolate. <laughs> literally <laughs> everything. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, hey. <laughs> I, I want to interview little but daddy who Shane. Who is the man? Well, that was that, that was that was that was, the, that was post cold chilling because that was uh no, no, no that, that was, was MCA. MCA that was MCA, MCA yeah. show improved joint. But Wait, um, yeah, the but last was, cold chilling was like was it was it Prince of Darkness? I think it was, was how it you get a record deal. No, it was looks how like you get a record deal. Looks like a job for it. Looks like a job for But um, but then like because I'm new and I'm young, or because I'm so young, they like oh wait a minute, maybe we should play them, start playing them some of our new records. They're trying to. Kind of like guinea pig me to be like the, the kid A and R. So now I'm going to the cold chilling and like they they had signed a group called the Brooklyn Zoo. Had nothing to do with Dirty, <laughs> but they were called the Brooklyn Zoo. And he plays they they play me the video and they play me the song, or they play me the video and I'm I'm waiting for the Wu Tang symbol to pop up, and it doesn't pop up. And then the video's over and I'm like, well, where's the Wu Tang symbol? I don't know anymore. I'm a kid. Like you play me. And this was right when uh. But turned to the 36 Chambers and come out. So I'm like, where's the Wu-Tang symbol? There wasn't one. I'm like, I but you're, they're called the Brooklyn Zoo. You know, like. Right. It was just a really, but so then I walked up with a Brooklyn Zoo 12-inch too. Like it was just, <laughs> you know, like, but it was just that surreal experience of I'm at the cold chilling offices and I've just been giving this entire catalog on wax. So that's actually the first time my name ever appeared on a record was when Mr. C did his version of Shake That Ass. If you look at the bottom of the 12-inch, it says big, uh, big up to my man DJ Just from Jersey. Wow. So like to me, I had made it. You couldn't tell me like, <laughs> my name was on a record. Period. Like it doesn't matter that it was a tape king's pressing. It, it was a record. Like, but I'm like, mom, I'm like, mom, look. She's like, who's DJ Just from Jersey? I'm like, that's me. <laughs> but like, I still You're actually to this day, I, I have a, a framed copy of that record. Like, just because it's one of those reminders. Like, yo, my first time ever, my name was ever on a record was it wasn't even a record that I produced, but. I knew I had a big hand in it. And that record ran New York radio and clubs for God knows how long. Yeah. That's how I heard it. So, all right. Now I'm, I'm skipping to Matt Lyon so we can get Lyon. That was a really random thing. Um, I don't remember how it came up. I don't remember how it came up. Chris had just gotten a job at Reprise. 
He was like their head. That's of, right. He, he was the head of in our piece. Yeah. I forgot. Chris Lighty. Lighty. No, oh, Karis won. won. Oh. Oh. Karis won got an office job. Yeah, he, he, did. he was in the office for a minute. His raps will destroy you. And, <laughs> and he had signed this destroy dude. destroy you. This dude named Thorough, maybe, or Through, something like that. And then he gave a line of deal. I don't remember how the initial, like, how it happened, but I end up, like, my first time ever in L.A., like, being flown out to L.A. by Rickley, my first time I ever set foot in California was being flown out to do this Mad Lion album. And a lot of the stuff that I was doing was very orchestral at the time. There was a lot of string arrangements, uh, uh, a lot of uh, horn arrangements, timpanis, stuff like that. And his idea was he was trying to do, like, a Conan-inspired album. Like... Uh, like Bar- like Conan, as in the barbarian. Yes. <laughs> Not if you O'Brien. ever look, if look up, look up, Mad Lion, Predator or Prey. Oh God. Predator, P R E D. Like instead of Predator, it's Predator. So A H. Of course. Yeah, Predator, of course, because it was the nineties. Right. We were, or Prey. We were all. The album oh is, my God. Yeah. Wow. Did he speak Whoa. like he sound or? His talking voice is very is close, somewhat close to his rap voice. What? No. So I want to say I did like eight <laughs> records for him. It was my first time ever seeing like a lump sum of money. Like maybe like something like almost a hundred grand. Is that in maybe? a check or is that in cash? That was a check. He signed a reprise record. Okay. So I got a check from okay. Warner Brothers. Okay. Um, but then I forget what I forget what the situation was, but. I want to say maybe there was a white label of one of the records that we did that I ended up getting because I was still in a record pool at the time. So I get like my own, a copy of my own record at, at the record pool, and it just says produced by Mad Lion. Mm. And I'm like, hey, but, mm. sure, like, Jess, sure you did this record. So, but I did. So we we're, we're on you know we we we're on the phone. We, he manned up. Like, we talked about it. It wasn't he didn't give me the industry runaround. He didn't do the you know we we talked about it. He was like, listen, you know. Gave me his opinion on it. I gave him my opinion on it. He said, well, how about this? How about we just make it the Mad Lion and Just Blaze album? I said, no, it, does, it doesn't need to even be that. I just want to be properly credited for what I did. And from there on out, we had no problem at all. Um, funny enough, that was actually, on that album, is the first time auto-tune was ever actually used on an R&B record. Wow. What year is that? I don't know. They used Predator maybe. It was before... Because Cher did it, obviously, that was the first one. And then I want to say, and then Jennifer Lopez had it on, I think, maybe If You Want My Love or something like that. We did a record with Total. (laughs) Did it explode? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Am I the only one that really likes Total? No, no, that first album no, was dope. No. I appreciate Dude, Total for you? what they were. What? No, the first the first album was had some jams. Can't you yeah. see? The second one, the second too? album. I mean, the second was just sitting home. Was that was the sitting second. home? Sit- I tried Dog, tripping. Come I, on, I, fam. I, look, no. I was they had a jam on there called Rock Track. I remember the that. Missy Jones. <laughs> so I was the like, having Missy. having good songs and giving good performances are two different. Oh, things. Well, yeah, Absolutely. that's yeah, that's right. I learned that. What I appreciated about Total is that. I felt they know that they were within it. I felt that they were accessible. They were the girls next door. They sound like right. your cousin Tanisha singing. Right. You know and, what I'm saying? and I don't think they ever tried to be anything more than that. More than that. Right. You know, like, so we did the, I remember we, we, we did the record. What was it called? I don't remember what it was called, but if you look up Mad Lion Total, it'll, it'll come up. Um, but we did the record, and I'm going to try something. 
right after I I already I was using Pro Tools, you know, early on. Mm-hmm. So I knew about the auto tune effect. So I put auto tune, I think, on Pam, the dark skin. Yeah, Pam was a dark skin girl. Mm-hmm. Put auto tune on her, and she was like, "What's that?" So I'm like, "Oh, fuck, we're just gonna put auto tune on all of your vocals, <laughs> um, all of her backgrounds." The first or the second album? The this blue was one. on Mad Lions album. It was oh, Mad Lions you got featuring them to sing featuring Total. So we did. The, I did the beat. Speaking, of, that's another funny story. That that doing that record is how I met Joey Longo, pal Joey. Oh, yeah, okay. Wow. okay. He, but, I, this, but this was when Thong Song was out and popping. Oh, okay. So, Wait, Pal Joey did that? No. no. sampled. They used his drums yeah. from Earth People. Yeah. So I walk into Unique. Wow. The day I'm doing this session, and I look at my uh, track sheet, and it says assistant engineer, or my session log, it says assistant engineer is going to be Pal Joey. And actually, it might have just said Joey Longo, because that was his real name. So I'm in the room and it's just, you know, this white dude, a little bit older than me, you know, knew what he was talking about. And I'm like, so I just put him on like, are you pal Joey? Like the pal Joey? And he's like, you know who I am? I'm like, like yeah. you know, Earth People, Soho, right, right. KRS, like, and, I, and I, I was just, I was so wide eyed and so young at the time. I was like, why are you working here? Wait, can you stop the story? Yeah. I know Pal Joey from all the KRS credits. Right. Pal Joey did motherfucking Soho's hot music. Yes, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yes. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh, I'm in the conversation now, y'all. Music. I think he should have got it. He think he, he probably got a pretty good check because uh, Mark Ronson sampled him, well, credited him on the uh, the last record yeah, yeah, that yeah. Uh, the. The one Not, that sounds like hot music. Yeah. So so so, I'm like I'm I you know, looking back, that was a crazy thing to ask. But at the time, I was just like, he's a hero to me. And when I hear Thong Song, you know, so he has aside from hot music, his other classic house record is Earth People um, Dance. Yeah. So he had a bonus beats version on the flip that the DJs used to rinse crazy. Really. So yeah. So at the end of Thong Song. If you remember, it changes and it gets a little bit more forward and flourish. They're using Pal Joey's drums. So not only has this done done amazing classic records, and at the time I'm thinking that all of my heroes are living rich and lavish and are doing are well to do or whatever. So I asked him, like, why are you working here? Yay. He's like, well, I, I wanted to learn about engineering and I needed a job. So I'm like, but you realize that like your drums are sampled in the number one record in the world right now. <laughs> you don't need, like, why are you working here? And I was just so... That was my first time meeting somebody that was a hero of mine, but reading, meeting them just in their regular life. And he was like, do you think I can get some money for that? And I'm like, dude, yeah. Those are clearly your drums, your program drums, not a loop you found. In, no, this is your program drums are on the biggest record. Wow. I'm mind blown. This pal Joey. Yes. Ah, damn it. That's Earth People. That's, yep. That's, yeah, I'm sorry, it's Earth People. So, uh, yeah, that was just a random story. I met Pal Joey and kind of like, was like, yo, dude, talk to this lawyer. You can go get some money. Next time, I, I don't know what the exact outcome was, but like, next time I saw him, he looked a lot happier and he was like, yo, look, good look. Chains. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll stop Blame the story him. there, but I think he was doing, he did okay. Uh, made out okay off of that. But anyway, yeah. So, um... But like I said, the, so that lion situation was the first time that I'd ever made a, little, a nice little chunk of money up front at once. My first time in L.A. Uh, was that my first experience in Boys Town in L.A.? 
I have a great Boys Town story. Are we but, talking about West Hollywood? I don't. No, like the actual Boys Town area of LA. Okay, okay. Well, I didn't know what Boys Town was. I didn't but know it's not West Hollywood. Neither did the Roots in 1994 when they stuck <laughs> us in that Ramada. Oh wow! I have a. Oh, I got a better one though. Hold on. Right. This is kind Are of. Are we this. about to get off the air now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It was, I think this was my, my, sec, my second time in L.A. I ended up, and anybody who's familiar with L.A. or next time you're in L.A., you know that I hop on Sunset. Yeah. Right oh. Holloway Drive. Right next to that is the Holloway Motel. Yikes. So the night of the Grammys, I ended up having to stay in that hotel. Why? Not, not knowing what it was. Do you, I'll, I'll give you the short. That's the cheapest hotel in the it's world. Not just, it's not even a hotel, bro. It's a place where. Wait a minute. Yeah, hour by hours. Hour. Hour. Yes, what, by the yeah. hour. Yeah. Yes. This is what they rhyme about. Like. <laughs> Think of the Bristol Hotel by L. Cool yeah, yeah. Bristol, exactly. <laughs> Hotel. But it's in Boys Town, so it's... Wait, it's crazy, because it's like, okay, I, I see the Roscoe's. I know where the IHOP is. It's literally right next to the IHOP. Yeah. How? All right, I'll give you the shortest version possible. So this is my second time. This is my first time in L.A. on my own, just being there. Me and the hip-hop went to L.A. I think we, like, set up some meetings or whatever. Hip-hop Kanye's manager. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So we're out there. We're both dumb young. We don't, we, you know, we're just out there. So this was, we were out there while the Grammys were happening. So we kept, we were only supposed to be there three days. We kept extending the stay. And the hotel's fine with that. They're getting money. So the day of the Grammys. Oh, prices are jacked. No, the prices are just, the, the, the rooms aren't even available. So the day, of the, the day of the Grammys comes, and I call down to the front desk like, hey, so we're just going to extend our stay. I'm not going okay. to the Grammys. I'm no. They're like, oh, sir, well, that room's been sold out since last year for this day. Like, and I'm like, Oh, Damn. all right. So, can you help us out? Like, we, we need to stay here. Like, we don't have a plane ticket back home. So, they called all their other hotels, like, in, you know, in, in LA, trying to find rooms. They couldn't find rooms. 
No, they, they had no rooms available. They start calling other hotels just to try to help us out because we've been staying there for like two weeks. So they were trying to look out for us. Long story short, there are literally no hotel rooms in LA at all, period. It's the day of the Grammys. There's nothing. Um, and you're also talking like maybe like 2000. So a lot of those, oh, wow. you know, a lot of those newer hotels that are in LA now, like the, those, they don't exist back then. Yeah, and no this is the year two thousand. This is when records oh. were actually selling. Pre Airbnb, pre right, right, It's either the Hilton is available or it's not. I got my laugh track ready. So anyway, oh shit. So me and my now see, I forget dude's name. What was the what were the, what was the crew behind Sunshine Anderson? Uh, who was Mike that? City, and uh, <laughs> Mike City produced right. So her before and I forget dude's name, but he was like the guy that kind of ran their crew, or was like oh the head of um, started with Eli, a J maybe started with a J. He 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 was an industry dude at the time. He was popping. I, I don't remember what his name was. Kind of irrelevant. He was have so um, I'm skipping around. First of all. My homie uh, Mo Better comes and picks me up. Mm-hmm. My, 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 homies, my old homies from the Bay. So we're literally driving around LA trying to find a hotel. And that's the reason why I brought Dude up, the Sunshine Anderson dude, was because he was throwing a Grammy party that night. Hip Hop was going to help him with the party. So Hip left, like, I got to go help Homeboy. Can you try to sort out the rooms? I'm like, yeah, we'll figure it out. At the time, I don't know how difficult it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we check out of the room. Hip goes and does what he has to do. The party is on. Is at I think the House of Blues on Sun like no, that was right off Sunset or whatever. So I get uh we go around to every hotel, nobody has anything. We pass this place, the Holloway Motel, whatever it, it, and the sign says vacancy. <laughs> As it always does. <laughs> right. So we get there and it wasn't even like a front desk. They had like a Oh the window. Yeah, they had a window. So sign number two. HBO and jacuzzis. So, all you need. Bulletproof glass. That's all you need. So hard keys. <laughs> I'm asking you, I mean, you have any rooms? He's like, well, unfortunately, guys, we only have doubles. I'm like, well, that's great because there's two of us. Mm. <laughs> so right. he doesn't know that hip hop, but he sees me and Mo Better. Yeah, he sees my homie. He's like, you know, we need a room. He's like, well, unfortunately, I'm like, wait, but no, it, doubles are fine. There's, there's two people. We need two beds. So there's a jar sitting right next to him. I don't look at the jar. I'm thinking it's like lollipops, candy, oh, whatever. I don't know. But it ain't. I'm looking around just the neighborhood. I mean, there's a lot of prostitutes out here. Right, whatever. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of, again, this is my second time in LA. My first time really on my own. So I'm just getting to lay in the land. Wow, this, this, I guess this is the hooker area. I don't know. So... <laughs> they like pancakes. It's right next to <laughs> I get to the hotel. I get in. It's, it's it's a clean. The room is clean. It's you know bare bones, but it's clean. So I'm in there so for you a turn while. On that black light. And at the time, I'm like I said, I'm nobody. So I'm just like the Grammy uh, red carpet is happening. We're watching it on TV. I'm watching it on TV. Hip hop is doing his thing. You know, gallivanting with homeboy at the, setting up for the Hard Rock Cafe or the not the, you know, the House of Blues. Uh, Joe. What album is out that you're? Is this Blueprint or this is pre pre all of that? Like, oh, two thousand. That's so maybe maybe a, maybe a mill. Maybe okay, okay. That was probably it. Maybe a mill. Okay. So, um, I'm like, well, hip hop's having that uh, party. Maybe I can get into that. Or you know, homeboy's having a party. Hip hop's there. So maybe I can get into that. So I go to get in the shower. 
Mm. So I, I, so I, <laughs> I start showering. It's like, girl. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is something. I mean, do, do you still have what you caught that night in the shower? Because I need to switch seats. No, actually, and I think this is something, a fear that we can all relate to. Uh, we Being can? in the shower and mid, mid lather. <laughs> Mid lather, the water just shuts off. There's oh, yeah. no water. Oh, oh, yeah. What do you do? That's, That's a problem. What do you do? Yeah. Right? So, and I had like, I literally just stepped in. Water's on me. Soap up. Water stops. And I'm like, and the timer on the shower. Yeah. What? What do I do? So I kind of, I'm covered in soap. Like, it's like, and you can't really just towel it off because then it's just yeah, you sticky as itchy. Right, as but you. I had no choice. So that, that, right after that, the phone rings. The guy at the front desk or the front window. You're using the you're using the water, letting me know that the, there's been a water main break in the area. There's no water anywhere like in the area. So I wipe. I'm still sticky with the soap film all over me. Oh uh, no! I get dressed. I'm like, what do I do? Uh, I, I'm like, oh, I just go to the IHOP. Huh, yeah. Can't go to IHOP. There's no water. So IHOP is closed. So I'm just gonna go back to the room. So I'm sitting in the, in the room, sitting on the bed, watching the Grammy red carpet, still covered in soap, you know, but like st- sticky and whatnot. And then all of a sudden I hear <laughs> coming from the next door. Oh. So I'm like, oh, I guess so. Somebody, somebody's getting it in. <laughs> yeah. So at least somebody's lucky. But then I notice I hear many voices. Mm. It wasn't just like. A male and a female moan, or a male and a male moan, or a female and a female moan. It was just a all types. Bunch of moaning, right? So I'm like, they trigger them shit on the SP. Daylight orgy. So that's when it really hits me. Like, yo, I'm in like a hotel motel, like the Notel motel, and I run back out. To, I run back out to the front desk. And it's closed, but the jar is still there. Or the front window, but the jar is still there. And I realized the jars are actually, it's what's in, or the jar, what's in it is, it's not lollipops, it's not bubblegum, it's packets of KY and oh, condoms. Oh, <laughs> the funky combo. So I'm like. They know so, their audience. They know their audience. Right. So I'm like, well, well. so now I'm just, I, I, I'm walking around. I, I remember I saw, I noticed that there were a lot of hookers out. So that's what I'm realizing. That's when I'm starting to realize what area that I'm in. Like, and I'm staying at a motel that they're all coming to do their business in. So then I try to, I'm like, you know what? I'm sticky. I'm covered in soap. I had dreads at the time, so my dreads is all soap and watered up. I can't do anything. So I'm like, you know, I know where the House of Blues is. So I just go to try to walk towards there. Maybe I can just get into the party somehow, but then I realize how I look. And then I look at the line, and I see the line is down the block because it's a House of Blues Grammy party in L.A. And I realize I'm not getting into that, but I'm going to try anyway. But this is really before cell phones even really, like, where I had a cell phone. I want to say a hit maybe did it. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know what to like. I don't know what to do at this point. So I roamed Boys Town for the next couple of hours. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> getting hollered at, catcalled at, and just not knowing what, you know, but what do I do in that situation? So eventually I... Go back to the hotel. I realize what it is now. Water comes back on. I, you know, finish the shower. So I, I lay my jacket on top of the bed. Smart. I don't get in the bed. <laughs> Smart. And I just lay there. So hip hop finally comes in like 6.30 in the morning. 
And he's tired. He's been at this party all night. You know, they probably went for food after and God knows what else. So I come like half asleep and I see him go to pull the sheets back and get in the bed. I'm like, no! <laughs> don't get in the bed! Whatever you do, do not get in the bed. He's so confused. He's like, and he gets in the bed anyway. I'm like, dude, stop! Ooh. Like, just sleep on... Do you see what I'm doing? Yeah. Do you realize where we're at? Do you see the jar of condoms in KY? You know, at, at the front window. You realize there, there is no... <laughs> <laughs> The bed bed. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shout out to Search. Uh, so, uh, next morning, uh, Mo Better finds a, you know, now the grand people are leaving. So the next morning, we find a hotel. Oh, but then, I don't really know that this is a, traditionally like supposed to be like an hourly thing. And if you stay overnight, like checkout time is still like 9 a.m. Because nobody goes to those places and, and stays. It's a 12. <laughs> so... I'm getting the 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 phone calls, and dude is uh, very effeminate, and his mannerisms on the phone. So I'm kind of like, just kind of like, yo, whatever, dude. Because he's like, yo, it's checkout time. I'm like, yeah, whatever, click. Because I'm I'm, I'm aggravated. I'm tired. If I've had the worst of the night from hell, I just want to sleep until I know that I have another hotel room. So dude calls again a little bit later, still you know being effeminate, and I'm just like, yeah, all right, all right, we're fine. We gotta get up. I gotta get up. I gotta get up. Hip hop had left already because. He was going to try to find another hotel room. So, dude calls one more time and I'm like, hey, yo, we're, we're about to be out. We fact, because we had found a hotel room at this point. Next thing I know, about five minutes later, there's a banging on my door, baby. And it's, I hear that same feminine voice. So I open the door, like, ready to, like, make it a thing. And the dude is, like, six foot nine. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb Diesel, the white beaters, his muscles got muscles. Oh, and I'm God. like, sir, we'll be right out. <laughs> and that was yeah. episode one. Man. Anyway. Wow. I bet y'all upgraded wow. like crazy, so, though. Um, Stay in the red. So, Saigon. Man, let's, let's go somewhere. So, okay, so Saigon. Yes. Okay, um, man, what happened with that record? Like, I'm now that it's like over and right. you know what? What the endless happen? delays? Yeah. So wait, did it come out? Yeah, it did. It did yeah. come out. I like, was joking. Came out, came out 2011. Yeah. I, I got that mistake with Jay Electronica. Oh, oh, we can talk about him too. Yeah, look. Lord of Mercy. So, Sai <laughs> was brought to me by like when Sycamore was first trying to figure out what the A and R game was, whatever, and he wanted to. Work with me, like, and I used to just see Sycamore around and be like, Yo, who is this dude? Like, I'll be in Chicago, and the next day I'll be in Cleveland, and I'll be in Chicago when Sycamore's there. I'll be in Cleveland the next day, and he's there. And I'm like, you know, he was just trying to. I was on the road with Jay and 50 at the time, so Sick was kind of just like finding out where we were playing at and popping up in every market, just trying to make a name for himself. So, took a liking to him. He wanted to do the A&R thing. So, he brings me a bunch of artists. One of the artists he brings me is Saigon. So, I'm like, yo, kid's kind of nice. Have him come down to the studio. Gave Sai about four records or four beats. I'm like, take these home. Let me know. You know, bring me back what you come up with. In the meantime, like, you know, he had had his Warning Shots mixtape out. The, I, he had literally like a, a, a crazy binder full of press and whatnot already. So, I'm like... All right, the, you know the kid has some stuff popping. Uh, let's see what he comes back with. You know, in terms of the music, the music he brings back is not mind blowing, but it's, it's good. Um, considering he just went home and, and one night wrote four songs and brought them right back to me. 
So I'm, I'm still debating like what we can do with this. If we can make it into something, he's coming around baseline more. I'm giving him more music. Within a week of that, um, word starts to spread that we are, you know, hanging out. Um, before we can even do the bidding war thing or anything like that, Atlantic comes right to the table. Like, so we had just places working with an artist named Saigon, and G's involved and hip hop is involved. So we want it. Didn't hear, didn't hear a song, yeah. didn't hear a demo, heard nothing. They just saw the, the names on paper. Yeah. Just Blaze, Saigon, G. Roberson, Hip Hop, Rockefeller, go. Like, why, why were we not a part of this? And because of the way his buzz was at that time, at least in the underground and throughout New York, I think they thought they were getting, like, the next 50 Cent. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't that. His music wasn't that. And so... Me, you know, being young and, and experienced in that field, just was like, oh, they, a, we don't even have to make a demo. They just want to sign us because it was involved. Great. Which is, looking back, is one of the worst things you could ever do. Um, you already know that. And on top of that, G and hip hop are going to be in the building at Atlantic now. I kind of want to say this might have been their entry point into Atlantic, or this was like happened right after they made their way into Atlantic. So you have. You know, two of your very good friends now being the heads of A&R at the labels, like, it's a no-brainer. You know, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. And as soon as we sent them the, like, so th things are bubbling, and I knew something was up, and, like, we gave them the first record, what was it, Pain in My Life, mm -hmm. with Trey Songs on it, which they didn't lift a finger to make happen. We did it. Got the record played on, like it's playing out in 197. It's playing out a, a, a few other markets. Um, videos being played on BET. He uh, was hosting Rap City for a week, or what? I don't know if he was on it. He had a, a, a regular series of like rotation, like PSAs that he was doing on MTV. And I want to say he hosted Rap City for like three days or something. All this is happening when Pain in My Life drops. None of this is from Atlantic. This is either from. PDs or music directors, whatever, being a fan of him, a fan of the music. It wasn't me calling in favors. It wasn't us calling in favors. It was all happening very organically. So we're looking at the label like, hey, this is happening on its own without you guys lifting a finger. Uh, how about you lift the finger? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how about like, that? Like, they were like, well, how do we do this? How do we sell this? And this is right when they're starting to, this was that same year that they made all that money selling ringtones for the first time. So they're looking at this like, how do we sell ringtones of this music? This is socially conscious, actual, like, real hip-hop. Like, how do we sell this? And I'm like, well, you you guys are a label. You've been selling records for, you know, 100 years now. Um, and that's no slight to them. That's just really what my attitude was. Like, we've if I can't, if the music can organically find its way to MTV, BET, Hot 97, uh, most of the other, with the exception of, like, we were get, it was getting played in Boston, it was getting played in Miami, it was getting played in Chicago. All this is happening without... Any of us calling in any heavy favors, and without you guys not lifting a finger, imagine what could happen if you guys did. And they just never did. And then they, uh, it started, eventually it became apparent they just didn't know what to do with it. So at that point, I'm looking at it like, all right, let's just figure out how to get out of this contract. But to Craig Coleman's credit, Craig, was, Craig admitted that and was still trying to find ways to make it work. He still, like, when it came time to reforecast the budget, he was still... You know, going, letting it happen. We needed a Jay Giles band sample cleared, which nobody had ever really sampled Jay Giles. You know, he 
personally made the phone call to like the manager. He didn't go, they didn't go to a sample clearance house. They like, he personally called the manager, made it happen. You know, um, and while he's trying to put his best foot forward, Sai is getting frustrated at the delays and things, so he started to speak out against the label. And then mm. he was like doing things like five page my MySpace posts, renting against Atlantic. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get these guys to either put up more money so we can finish this to figure out a way to do it or let us go. You keep doing this, you're pissing them off. Like it's gonna make my job harder, which is either get the album finished or get out of there. Um and at that time there was so much transitional stuff happening at Atlantic, which you are again, you already know all about, that just the process of getting out, even after they agreed to do it, just took God knows how long. Yeah, I mean, we were able to get out of our stuff like quick, but right. like apathy right. was at the same time. Like, his shit took like three years. Right, I remember trying to apathy was over there yep. too. He was over there. And crazy. you know, I think with us, they had, they had, they had, they invested a good amount of money. Like, cause what I did, the first thing, one of the first things that I did was all the producers that had been helping him and supporting him like guys like Scram and Alchemist and stuff like that I went back right to those dudes and was like I can't pay you for your old beats but I'm gonna give you all you guys song deals so I'm paying Scram Jones for three beats up front before he's even made them I'm coming to Alchemist and saying I'm paying you for two beats like the same guys that helped develop that sound I want you guys to be the, the bulk of this album Buck Wild same thing so I'm giving dudes checks before I'm even hearing beats um and, it, and for the most part, all that worked out. But that said, Atlantic had put out so much, put up so much money, they weren't about to just relinquish it without having their some kind of return. Right, the, exactly. Yeah. So by the time they worked out the return and everything else, now we had a position where his buzz has died. So it's like, all right, now we're freedom. We we have freedom. We can put the record out. How do who who wants to buy it now? So we kind of had to get him back in the habit of putting out material, mixtapes, getting him on the road. Finding a new distributor for the project, for the project, um, making sure that all those sample clearances and things that Atlantic had set up in good faith were being transferred over to the new situation. I have to like Jay had given me a feature for the album. I now have to you know hit Jay and be like, hey, it's still coming out. I just want to make sure we're still good, you know. Um, and all the guys, like all the talent that was on the album, like just like Fat Man Scoop doing the intro, Miss Info doing skits, Screen Lantern doing skits, like because it was kind of set up like a radio broadcast. Getting in touch with all these people and making sure that, like, hey, it's been five years or four years, but we, you know, I make sure that we're still good on our clearances. So a lot of that was really the delay of doing that, and at the same time, him, you know, getting his buzz back up. Um, it was definitely a learning experience. I think one that you know you kind of have to go through to know what mistakes not to do or to make, or what things to not go for the next time around. So it was five years later. Like we started that out. I met Sai. I took over, like, officially, officially took over Baseline in 03. I want to say Psy came around to, uh, by, and I met Sycamore in 03, the same year that I bought Baseline. So I want to say Psy had to start coming around in 04, like, mid-04. Mid okay. And we were working, and, like, the deal probably happened by late 04, early 05. It came out in 2011, so that's six years later. So let's talk about another frustrating project. <laughs> J Electrolysis. Electrolysis? Yeah. <laughs> Jay Electrolysis. His train is running on schedule. What? What? What, what schedule? That's his favorite saying. Oh. My, my train is running on schedule. When's the last time you, you had a conversation with him? A real, real, real conversation? Or like that we had contact? A real conversation. It's been a while. Like when, when Carrie Fisher died, we had a conversation. Okay. It wasn't about music. It was about Carrie Fisher. 
You know, sorry, you two are Star Wars. Well, we just like sci-fi guys in general. Yeah, you know, you are. So you are indeed. So uh, that was a conversation. It wasn't a lengthy conversation, but it was a real conversation about some real stuff, just about life in general and things like that. Um, I want to say after after being Swiss, did the did the uh, the back and forth thing. He DM'd me, super hyped, wanting to work. Where is he in the world right now? I don't know. He, He's a nomad he, like a motherfucker. I want to say, if I remember correctly, the one of the last times we did have a real a lengthy conversation, he had told me that he had bought a house. It was either in New Orleans or in Texas. It might have been Texas, maybe so he could be closer to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, it wasn't like New York and it wasn't in L.A. I want to say that if it wasn't in New Orleans, it was, I think, maybe in Texas. Um, you know, Jay's always been a nomad. Like, funny enough, you know I, I, actually, how I know Jay's through Rashad. It's funny how many things Rashad is randomly behind. But yeah, so he hits me like, yo, I got this kid. He's amazing lyricist, uh, great artist, doesn't know a thing about the business, doesn't know how any of this works, doesn't know how, you need somebody to take him under his wing. I'm not that guy. Um, you know, I wanted to bring him to you. In the meantime, some, I mean, this was in the AIM days, we always should talk on AIM. Yeah. Somehow, Jay ended up stealing my AIM screen name from Rashad. Yo. Okay, I was thinking, as you were talking right. about this, I was like, I wonder if I should share the story about the time when Jay... Okay, so he's legendary for this shit. Yeah. You tell yours first. Go ahead. So, no, I mean, it's, it's and to be honest, it wasn't that much of a story. Like, I, because I was already aware of him from Rashad, because Rashad had already prefaced the conversation. Right. Um, and me and Rashad had spoken about him a few times. I wasn't necessarily surprised when I heard from him, but then I realized he didn't, like, he was just looking over... Rashad's shoulder or at his computer one night when Rashad was there and stole my screen. I mean, I always figured if he stole mine, he probably stole I a few. I doubt that. I doubt that. Which Rashad are we talking Smith. about? Smith. Rashad, tell me to say Smith. He's done Biggie's One More Chance. He was kind of the, the he was the gutter of of the of Puff's Hitman. He did all. I mean, I mean, he did do an LL. He did the hop too, didn't he? Do the hop on Tribe? He did the hop, yeah. The hop on Tribe, yeah. I mean, he did it like a lot. He's one of those guys that can bounce around. Like and get he'll do ladies' night for little Kim, oh, wow. okay. but then he'll do dreams for Biggie, you know what I mean? Like, right, so yeah. yeah, but wait, real quick. So, during the 08 uh campaign period for Obama, right, like when all of us were going heavy mm-hmm. doing all that stuff, um, one of the greatest pranks I was ever a part of, um, because Jay and I got cool one day, he just aimed me, right. Two got my aim and right. we, we became fast friends that way. And um, he convinced me to kind of go in my celebrity room uh-huh. to play pranks. And oh, I don't know if I should reveal this. Um, you should absolutely reveal it. He, <laughs> he uh, somehow managed to get uh, Obama's aim name. Before oh Obama God. thought to right, you know, like back in 2008, you weren't thinking of okay, let me get my Gmail name, right, my AOL name, my oh, so he MySpace got name, Obama on AIM, he got right. the name, he right. got he got it on AIM, and uh, brilliant. <laughs> first, he pranked uh, a Dallas Maverick person to thinking that he was Barack Obama. Wow. Then sounds like Jack. Then we got Jonah Hill. Which to this day I'm not sure Jonah Hill's forgiven me for, but the best one of all was 
was nice. Wow. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. You're reminding me of. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry, finish your I can, story. Only, I can only imagine what Nas wrote. Oh my God. Wow. It, I no mean, it was, you oh, know, to this, to this, to this credit, that's when I knew. Actually, I think that's also what subsequently ended my days of being on AIM. I used right. to always be on AIM. Right. I remember that. I just knew Jay kind of punked me out of AIM. Like, I, I stay inside the solitary confinement, I don't go out <laughs> to the general public. I remember he tried that with me one time. It, but posing it, as Scarlett Johansson. Yo, oh he is genius. I, I forgot about this. His genius level finesse. I'm telling you, he had Nas, Nas engaged so convincingly. It, it was the most vulnerable I've seen him. Oh, he said something prolific, didn't he? He said like, a I lot. mean, he was just like he was so touched and floored oh, that the an pose, honor. and it was, and it was, and the way, the way that he did it, I was also like, oh, Jay might be a sociopath, like. <laughs> Uh, like this is some, this is some. Uh, uh, what's the Will Smith uh, six degrees? Six degrees, six degrees of separation. separation yeah. It was the, the level I've seen him in situations just switch characters where he can talk the the whitest of the Rothschild white, right, and the gutter of the gutter, and then all of a sudden adapts so very quickly. Now, one thing I say about Jay, he's a social engineer. It was, it was at that moment where I realized that the way that his brain works is just on some next level. So what's going on with him, man? Like what? I, I y'all did exhibit A, y'all did exhibit C. We did exhibit A. Like, funny, fun fact, uh, exhibit A was sponsored by Guitar Center. <laughs> we have a Guitar Center to think for Y'all like went to Guitar Center and made yeah. the demo real quick. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I see some cats in the 24-hour Apple store making some music. Yeah. Like, that shit is real. What happened was, uh, you know, they do their, their catalog, their circulars, whatever, like for once every season. So it was a twofold thing. They wanted to have myself and an engineer and an artist on the cover of that particular season's catalog. Mm -hmm. Uh, My homie Mike, Mike Shav, who was. uh, Yeah, he was with Denon for a minute. Mike Shavria, yeah. Right. So Shav had some kind of inside kind of guitar center. So he hooks it up where it's going to be me and him on the cover. And then obviously Jay's our connection. Like I, I know Shav through Jay. Through Jay Z. No, I know Shav through Jay Electronica. Yeah, you know, like so when I say, if I'm saying Jay, I'm talking about Jay Electronica. Okay. I'm talking about Hove, I'm talking about Talking about Jay Z. Got it. So um long story short, Guitar Center uh does this thing once a year where all, you know, obviously most of their employees are aspiring musicians or whatever, DJs, producers, whatever they are, songwriters. So they do a compilation every year. Um uh, of their employees' best music. It's a contest. Whoever makes the best 15 songs makes the compilation. And this year they wanted to feature something from an established artist, that artist being me. Mm-hmm. So the idea was, okay, um, we'll make a song uh, that'll be, you know, me and Jay Electronic will make a record that will be featured on the Guitar Center compilation. So they bring Roland into the mix, and Roland basically says, we want to sponsor the make, making of this record. So they basically just opened the vault and said, pick whatever you want. There's no limit to what you want. So I got about, mm-hmm. the, thing, the thing is, there was not much that I really needed from Roland, but like the new Juno, that like every keyboard they had that was coming out that year, like the guitar synth that they made, like uh, anything that they had that was hot at that point, I was just like, I'll, I want one of everything. And within a week, we had it all at the studio. None of it was really needed, yeah. but it was just, all right, cool. Appreciate it, Roland. <laughs> 
So I'm going to say when it was all said and done, it was probably about 35, 40 grand worth a year that they sent over. So um, we, should, we do the cover of the Guitar Center Circular. It's already been shot. It's about to come out. I'm trying to find Jay so we can do Exhibit A. I can't find him. I fly out to Detroit because mm-hmm. I knew he was going to be in Detroit. Um, went to Shav's crib, tracked him down, and we ended up doing Exhibit Say in Shav's attic. Wow. And a week later, you could walk into, this is before anybody really knew who he was yet, you could walk into Guitar Center and get a physical copy of Exhibit A for free just for walking into Guitar Center um, with like artwork and everything. So we do that. Um, we had, you know, there were a lot of different conversations about what we could do, you know, whether we, like at one point the, the idea was for me and him to kind of like be a group. You know, I'm I'm primo, he's guru, you know, that kind of thing, like an actual duo. Uh, went through a lot of different phases, and then uh, he would come to baseline and just hang out. It was funny, actually, Saigon actually kind of felt a little bit of a way when Jay first came around. I was going to say, like... Right, like, and his thing was kind of like, yo, who is this guy? Like, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you know, like, we're trying to get my project right, and... And this guy just comes in out of nowhere, and now the attention's on him. It wasn't like the attention was ever away from Sai. Yeah. I just think he kind of looked at it like, "Can we get my thing?" You're no longer the bell of the ball, or he right. isn't. Right. And, and and it wasn't, and that wasn't the case at all. Jay was just coming by, like awesome, hanging out, and eventually they they ended up becoming friends. And you know they're good. You know that that was just kind of the first couple of days of just like yo, who, just feeling each other, out. right? Just trying to figure out who this dude is. So. That was also just kind of the process of me and Jay getting to know each other as, or getting to know each other as people in general. Because up until this point, a lot of our community, you know, keep it, we would speak a lot for a week or two, then he would disappear or I'd get busy or whatever. So this is the first time that we were in each other's company on a regular basis, nonstop, for quite a while. So out of that comes Exhibit C, which as many people who are listening to this probably heard another story, like that was actually, we were trying to take it back to the days of when dudes would do promos for DJs. So, Exhibit C was supposed to be a promo for Angela Yee. Oh, my God. What's up with all these women inspired oh, right. these classics? That's Primo what, just told us 10 Cracker Man. Yeah, with Angela Martinez, yeah. So, that's actually the, the exact same kind of thing. So, that's why if you listen, Angela used to have a show called The Morning After. That's why at the end of Exhibit C, I say The Morning After world premiere. I thought that was going to be the title of the album. Right. So, no. So, we did the record. And the idea was do the record. Take it to the morning after the next morning, and just premiere it on there. Um, Jay fell asleep. <laughs> um, he fell asleep in the studio. I wasn't one hundred percent in love with the mix yet, and it ended up going from being like I think it was supposed to be like a minute long to a now a five minute song. Um, so we just decided to let go of the uh, that idea of it being a, a promo for Angela, and the record just kind of sat around for a while. You know, my hard drive. So I was going to play Tony Touch at Shade 45. And I'm like, yeah, I can play like, all right, my usual, you know, everybody knows, like, I did this record, I did that record. I don't want to do that again. Instead of me playing a bunch of records I'd never played before. So Exhibit C was one of those records. And as soon as I played it, like, the phone lines lit up, PD's calling into the, the room, like, what is this song? Um, people from other stations in the building and walking into Shade 45 like yo what is this and it just became kind of became a thing had I never pl- played Tony Touch's show that night that record but I might have might it would have just been a Guitar Center yeah. promo well no that was well, no, that was a. A. we're talking about Exhibit oh, C, C. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. I might have never even played it anywhere else damn you know so 
I play it, it you know, it, it does what it does, and it becomes like the first time in years that you're like hearing r- real hip hop at three o'clock in the, in the afternoon on New York radio, which was the thing that hadn't happened in a while. Um, so I mean, it, it's what is what do you think it's going to take? Or at this point, it's just too far. I gone. don't know. Like, here's like Jay. Like, he's an ideas guy. Like, at one point, him and most were going to be a group. So, oh God! Of so, course. So, I had. So I had. With, with D'Angelo, Vanessa, uh, and Sinquis. Smiles and Southstar. Smiles So I, I had three Jay Electronica Most Def records. They, they they did three records. Um, I had them, but it's like then that was then it was another another idea. Then it was a different idea. Then it was a different idea. Then Jay comes along, or Hove comes along. Wants to do the deal, and Hove was kind of like, I guess his thought process initially was, if I bring Jay in, then Just Blaze comes with that, mm-hmm. because people were looking at us, you know, as being affiliated. Which I can understand why he would think that, but that wasn't necessarily, you know, it's like it doesn't kind of work like that. That's that's like somebody assuming that they sign you or they bring you in to work on a movie, and, and you know, like, and I come along with mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? Like it's. We're still too simple. It ain't a package deal. Right. So um, Jay's at this point now uh, in London a lot. He's working on the album. And, you know, I get the call, like, from, you know, from Hove, like, come by the house. So I go by the house. We square every- away everything that we need to square away um, in terms of my involvement with the album. So I fly out to London. We get a—I'm um, so sp- speeding through a lot of stuff. Um, but, you know, we get a good amount of the core of the album— he had demo demo ideas already, so I took those, touched those up, worked on a few new records, did an exhibit G, I think Anna H maybe. We did like two more. Um and kind of just got the album to a certain point. And then that was it. I don't know what happened. After and that, that was how many years ago? We're in two thousand seventeen now. Mm-hmm. This was maybe 2012. God damn! I could be wrong. I could be wrong. You better hurry way, up. We de- mm. it, might, it might it might have been 13. It was a large professor record. Uh, <laughs> D'Angelo by the album D'Angelo. when I drop it. Uh, drop it. Drop, 30 drop, years drop. from now. Hold on, let, me, let me think about this. I'm trying to see like I'm trying to figure out what, what else was happening. Do you still life. feel like you're waiting for a Dr. Dre record, even though it came <laughs> out? <laughs> but that record is not the. But that record is, is not. That, that's I not know, the one. Is that the Compton? That ain't the one. That's not the one. No. Like that happened. I remember when I started getting calls, like for them, for me to come out and work on that record. And I'm like, but they're like, no, this is a whole different thing. Like, you know, I've heard. I want to say probably the first, a little bit of the very first detox, because I was one of the first people he called when he was doing it. So I heard a little bit of that. Then he went and wiped all the tapes. Like, um, like literally, like literally, 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 literally wiped exist. the tapes? I don't even. Wow. Literally? Word has it there is one debt that is Why? in a remote location. Yeah, Why? But, Just in case like he passes, he doesn't want it? No, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even want that. I think there's another person who has this debt. Um, I could be wrong. I, I, could be, I, I know that there is, there is a remnant of something. I don't know who has it. I, let, me, let me put it that way. It's an engineer, but, but I do. But oh, the word is, is cause I remember hearing those songs early on. Like Usher's throwback was supposed to be a detox record. It was supposed to be about him leaving the game. Oh, you're gonna want me back. That was the whole thing. What? Oh wow. What? Yep. <laughs> that was a detox. All record. right, look, we can get just lost in these stories <laughs> forever. We gotta stop the show. We're going over her a lot of time. Thank you very much, Just Blaze. Give it up. Anytime. Anytime. Yes.
On behalf of Fontigolo, right here, myself, Boss, and Unpaid Bill, and Sugar Steve. Unpaid Bill. Yes, it's, it's a long, but he's the riches of all of us. Yes, yeah, really. <laughs> Just look at him. That, yeah, what the fuck, man? This is, this is Questlove. <laughs> Signing off, Questlove Supreme. See you all on the next go round. Voice Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.